It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. I am Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. And we, as with you, are all uh, a little bit affected by the things that are going on in the world right now. And uh, some routines have gotten jumbled up, but I think that's going to be a good thing for Buckeye Talk because we'll be coming to you with uh, some extra episodes throughout the coming week, including this one that you're all listening to on Monday morning. So uh, I am sort of centrally located in the city of Columbus. Steven is a little bit farther out, and then Doug is, is out in the suburbs, as, as he's very proud of. Um, so just curious what you guys are doing right now during the, the great shutdown of, of 2020. I don't think I have come within six feet of another person since we did the podcast on Tuesday, other than the three people in my house. So um, – I will say, and, and I don't think we need to spend too much time on this because everybody knows what's up, and I know there's people there's people around the world who listen to this. I mean, I, I've gotten messages from people in the Philippines and people in Europe, and, you know, Buckeye Talk uh, goes everywhere because Buckeye fans are everywhere, but the whole world is dealing with this. Um, but I am proud to be a very cautious person in what I think undoubtedly has been the most cautious state in America. Mike DeWine and Dr. Amy Acton have been at the front of this. And so um, I'm not I'm not leaving my house and I'm proud to not leave my house. And uh, I am just I've written it and I've said it before, but um, I am really glad I live in Ohio right now because I feel like this state is taking it seriously. And Mike DeWine has taken multiple actions uh, to try to protect the people of the state. Yeah, I've left my house once, and that was to go get groceries, which were scarce by the time I went. There was no bread. There was barely any any meats, no chickens, no beef, no anything at the Walmart near my home. Unlike the person I live with, I did not decide to go to Chicago and celebrate St. Patrick's Day. So, yeah, I have not left my house since then. I've been here just watching shows and binge-watching Netflix, HBO, and Hulu. Are you letting him back in when he gets back from Chicago, or is he going to be sort of no, no, no? He I have, he has been told that he is to go stay at his girlfriend's house. He's not coming back in his house. No. Wow. Full disclosure. So I had not left the house for a couple of days um, until today. My my fiance and I both wanted to go vote because we felt like going to one of the early voting things today made more sense than going to the actual voting 
place on Tuesday. Um, so we did that and got that out of the way. And since we were already out of the house, we did go make one last um, grocery shot. And it actually wasn't that bad. It was the Kroger up on Morse Road. And I was actually surprised how much stuff there still was. Some things were really picked over like bread, but a lot of other things were still pretty well stocked. So um, I guess good on them for, for keeping people stocked these days. But probably the last time we leave the house, we have a we have a vet appointment for our new puppy on Tuesday morning. But other than that, last time we're going to leave the house for a while. So just to clarify for everybody, we are on a, an app uh, that we use at work. It's called the Teams app. So we can all see each other. We are have our video screens up. Um, we realize the sound quality is is not as good as it is when we're together. But for the, for the future, for a while probably, this is the way we're going to do this podcast. But as Nathan mentioned, we are going to try to bring you more Buckeye Talks um, in the weeks ahead. And we have multiple things going on. This is a bracket podcast, but we are going to continue to do the regular Buckeye Talk, the regular full-length Buckeye Talk every Wednesday. But in an attempt to try to provide distraction for people, provide content for people, we're going to try to do some mini pods during the week. So it won't affect the main Wednesday Buckeye Talk, but we hope to bring you extras. And part of that is we are doing this, and it's going to be 68, not 64, this 68-player best modern Buckeye bracket of players defensively and offensively from the Urban Meyer, Ryan Day era and from the Jim Trestle, Luke Fickle era. So that's what we're going to dig into on this podcast, but we're going to try to have fun with it. We're going to try to sprinkle some things on that in, uh, sprinkle more little podcasts about that with questions from our tech subscribers, because I don't know about you guys, but at times like this, um, I realize I mean, we work for journalism, and that's important. And I know, did you guys see that, for instance, the papers in Seattle and San Francisco are pulling the sports and art staffs all into news? Did you guys see that? I did not see that, but I've talked to some other um, colleagues of mine, former colleagues of mine who were sports reporters who were already told that um, now that their seasons are done indefinitely, their teams are done indefinitely, especially on like the high school level. Those people are being pulled over to do news side stuff, which I would expect if I were in that position, probably. Yeah, so we don't. Yeah, that's know. not surprising. Yeah, not surprising. No. Good, go ahead, good. No, well, just I mean, we have a great group of of uh, Jeremy Pelzer, Laura Hancock, and Andrew Tobias in the Columbus Bureau have been monitoring everything that Governor Dewine has been doing, and then obviously all our people up in Cleveland on the news side for Cleveland.com who are cranking stuff out. So. I don't know that we'll be pulled into news. I don't know. I guess we could be. I mean, I don't know. I guess we could just make up football stuff for two months or we could actually contribute to society. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Well, and the other thing is, like, we don't know how this is going to affect all of our colleagues. There might be people who can't work for a little while for, for whatever reason. So we may be jumping over to other beats or whatever. I think this is just a it, – it, it, I was talking to my fiance about this today, like just a, kind of an unprecedented – experience in our lifetime and, and really there is no normal here for a while just in terms of the, the routines that we're used to and your daily expectations get shuffled up every day and it's, and just inter it's interesting to see how many sports reporters around the country are just like now what do i do you know because it's not a, it's not a single sport going on so it's not like an mlb writer or an nba writer go well i still have this to do it's like no most of the most sports reporters are just kind of sitting around Maybe they have a backlog of stuff that they can be writing right now, but for the most, there's a large amount of sports writers who really just don't know what to do at this point because this is like the the high point of a lot of different seasons right now. 
All right. So we want to have a realization that um, we are lucky in a way that we can sort of sit and do our jobs in our house. And we realize there are a lot of people out there who can't do their job unless they're out doing it. So we are not going to make this a coronavirus podcast. You guys have enough of that in your life. That is the, obviously what matters most. We are here to be a distraction. We are here to provide entertainment. And we are here to do it for the nurses and the doctors and the EMTs and everybody, the people who clean hospitals. I mean, so much is being talked about, about how everything has to be sanitized. And I know there's so many offices and things happen that, well, we're going to have that, have people come in and clean that. People have to come in and clean that. We know there are people listening to this podcast who might be keeping places clean. We, you might work at a grocery store. You might work at a gas station. Garbage men. I, I have been going out for runs. I ran by the garbage man. Man, they're out. Can you imagine if they stopped collecting garbage? Like there are so many indispensable people at a time like this. We realize we are dispensable. And if we get called in the news, our news writers are indispensable right now. We are eminently dispensable. This is fake football talk that we're doing here. But we are going to do that very dispensable job the best way we can do it, which is to try to give you something to take your mind away from it, to have fun. We're going to be fine. We're going to get through it. It's going to be tough, but we always goof around. So I, I know I got a, a Twitter thing of people like, this is time for Buckeye talk because we're all about made up nonsense. We don't need football games and football practice to talk about football. So we could go till December and make stuff up. And as long as you guys want to have that, and I think you do, we'll keep doing that. But please know that we realize we're lucky in a lot of ways to have the jobs we have and that we are eternally grateful to everyone who is out there going out into the world. Um, please be safe when you go out. Please don't go out if it's not necessary, but we realize how many people are necessary. And I can't imagine teachers right now having to find ways to do distance learning and online learning and stay, uh, learning and stay connected to their students. Um, so appreciative of that. So our hearts and minds are, are with you guys, and we just hope to distract you for a couple hours a week. Well, there is actual football going on. We can actually talk about real football before we talk about the fake football. Everyone, I think, by now knows that Ohio State first and in the Big Ten uh, decided on a moratorium for um, recruiting visits, either coaches going out or recruits coming into campus um, for, for officials, non-officials. But that doesn't mean all communication stops, and it doesn't mean that players can't uh, accept the scholarship offers they've already received, and that happened today for Ohio State. Um, Ja'Kalen Johnson, defensive back from St. Louis, uh, cornerback, gave his commitment to Ohio State. That's their first cornerback commitment in this class where cornerback, where probably multiple cornerbacks were a major priority. Um, Steven, you followed kind of the front lines of this for us. Just um, your read on, on what this means for Ohio State in, in, in just in terms of this class coming together. Yeah, it's Kerry Combs getting back to business as usual. But Ohio State hasn't had a high-level cornerback commit. Uh, Clark Phillips, obviously, with Jeff Halfley, but he decommitted the moment. He flipped to Utah the moment Jeff Halfley left from Boston College. So Ohio State hasn't had a high-level cornerback commit since Kerry Coombs left, and that was you know, the Sean Wades, the Jeffrey Okudas, the Xavier Johnsons of the world. No, Ty, I'm sorry, Tyree Johnson of the world. We have, They haven't had that in the last two recruiting classes. When you've had Alex Grinch here, you've had Tabor Johnson here, and those types of guys. Well, Kerry Combs gets here, and within the first three months of him being here, he pulls on a fourth, the fourth best cornerback in the class, and it doesn't look like he's done. But it 
this is Kerry Coombs getting back to where he left off recruiting, and we'll see how he, get, he if he can get back to that same level of developing first round talents. But this is just one in the long line of guys Ohio State's going to be competing with Clemson for in this 2021 class. Combs? Are you saying Coombs? I'm saying Combs. Combs. I'm saying Combs. I can't. I can't hear. I this I'm distance th- distance <laughs> podcasting is hard for a 46 year old man. I'm saying Combs. I'm pretty sure I heard a Coombs. We'll let the so, people go back and listen. I'm Combs. Yeah, so. we'll go back on the replay. But 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 the bottom line, I, that, that's the thing. Now, and I think Stephen made an important point there. They had Clark Phillips committed in the last class, but it was so Jeff Halfley centric that they lost him as soon as Halfley left. They had been recruiting Johnson before they hired Kerry Combs. And I think part mm-hmm. of this is, I think more than part of it is, again, and and I am still working on this special audio project that will be dropping for tech subscribers only, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But it is on this kind of topic. It is about Ohio State taking advantage where advantage can be taken. And St. Louis is a talent, a place that has a lot of talent. And who's who's the home state school doing business in St. Louis? Missouri? No. Illinois? No. It's supposed so, to be either Missouri or Illinois. Both of those schools stinks. should be the ones keeping people out of that city. So Ohio State, like they have done many times before and will do many times again, have noticed a weakness. Now, they started it with Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott, his parents went to Missouri, and they went in there and they pulled him out of there. But in the last couple classes, Cam Babb and Cam Brown were both from St. Louis. Jamison Williams is from St. Louis. Mookie Cooper is from St. Louis. So what they're doing here with Ja'Kalen Johnson, yes, it is Kerry Combs getting to work. But it is Kerry Combs getting to work in a place that has become receptive to Ohio State because Ohio State has made an emphasis of recruiting there and you start building up relationships with the high school coaches you start showing your faces even on some kids that you don't get and it is i mean when you look back at this it's like oh like they hired Kerry combs and he went to a place where ohio state has established a foothold and he pulled a kid out of there who's a top 100 guy of course they did but we talked about it i don't was it last podcast when did we talk about we had a question about the cornerback recruiting in the hole from Taver Johnson's year. So you mm-hmm. add the hole from Taver Johnson and then the Jeff Halfley decommitment with Clark Phillips, and you see Tyreek Johnson was technically classified as a safety, at least in the recruiting ranking. So they have not had a top 200 player commit at corner since 2017. And now it's 2021 at a place that is arguably the best corner producing college in the country. So they needed Ja'Kalen Johnson, but as Steven said, this is just about them getting back to what they'd done so successfully for so long. And just to clarify, when I said before that they needed corners in this class, they, they did. I feel like they needed multiple corners in this class for the, some of the reasons you're talking about. And they've obviously had some really good guys cycle through. But Ja'Kalen Johnson would be would fit in any class. They would never turn away Ja'Kalen Johnson. He's one of the best in the country. And you just look at his profile. Um, he's got a frame that I think is going to be able to bulk up a little bit. He's only about 170 right now. That'll probably be able to easily add 20, 25 pounds to that. He's already fast. He plays pretty physically, plays in a good against good competition at his level, just a national recruit. And um, it, it's important that for considering as many guys as if they need to get multiple corners for this class to get a great one out the bat and give yourself just a, a strong foundation for that. And as we mentioned um, 
we are recording this on Sunday evening. So this is a recruitment that came in on Sunday. And I remember when Marcellus Jones committed on Christmas Day. And that was like the craziest, like, I can't believe a kid committed. I did not necessarily think um, we'd be getting a coronavirus commitment from anybody. So like this was not what I was expecting today. But I just wanted to read these for the people who don't follow Kerry Combs on Twitter. And he is well known for his Twitter hashtags. These were his hashtags after uh, the commitment of Ja'Kalen Johnson. Hashtag adapt and overcome. Hashtag we can get things done in any circumstance. Hashtag Buckeye football remains open for business. Hashtag FaceTime not as good as face-to-face, but we are working on it. Hashtag not a good day, but a great day. Hashtag fight. Hashtag BIA, which is best in America. Hashtag go Bucks. So if you were wondering about whether Ohio State was going to recruit through this, there's your answer. Facebook, not face-to-face. That's really admirable because if you've ever tried to just conjure up a really long, goofy hashtag, you know that your phone or whoever tries to change it halfway through and you post it and it's the wrong thing. And he gets it accurate every single time. So I I appreciate his game. And I want to just remind the listeners of this because I'm a stupid man and I don't know things and I don't understand things. What this is a dead period. The NCAA declared this a dead period Mm -hmm. for recruiting. But dead does not mean you can't communicate with the kids. You can text. You can't see them. You can call. You just can't see them face to face. So the idea of, oh, like, well, recruiting stuff. Well, there's no visits, official or unofficial. The coaches aren't going on the road, but they are still recruiting. And if you needed any proof of that, they just got one of the best 60 kids in the country on a Sunday in the midst of a worldwide crisis. And that is not to make light of that. It is to sign a kind of shake your head and say, man, like Ohio State football is Ohio State football. Uh, and also just to note, it sounds like we're seeing rumors that um, Evan, Evan Pryor, Pryor might be joining tomorrow. Yeah, is, is going to be potentially announcing a decision tomorrow, uh, this, which would be Monday for those of you listening. Um, so uh, keep an eye out for that. We will be on top of that at uh, Cleveland.com. Is there anything else we need to they, talk about before we they get that kid? Now, by, by the time people listen to this, he, I mean, he might have already committed. Like, Steven, are they getting him? Yeah. It's, a high, it's a high chance that they're going to get him. He, of the five, back when I did the, the, the list of the, all the running backs that they could potentially get, he's probably the best chance at getting it. And he's a lot of crystal balls are saying that he's going to go to Ohio State. So, yeah, I would be comfortable saying that by the time you guys read this, he'll be an Ohio State football commit, which would be huge because they also, along with the cornerback situation, haven't had a high-level running back commit since 2017. And that guy went on the rush for 2,000 yards and might be a first or second-round draft pick. Yeah, I I think running back, when I did a little thing last week kind of ranking the positions of need remaining in this class, running back was the only thing I had higher than cornerback um, for obvious reasons. And to put this out there, our texters know this. Ohio State fans know this. Oklahoma's Trey Sermon, a running back who has played for several years there, is in the transfer portal. He's not at Ohio State or anything. We will talk about that at some point. We're not going to dig into it right now. But we obviously are aware of that. And uh, Evan Pryor can't help him on the field in 2020, and they still probably could use some help on that. So obviously, it, you know, read cleveland.com slash OSU. Subscribe to our texts for updated information on that kind of thing. But we know that guy is out there. And tech subscribers, you already got some analysis on what you what Doug thinks of Sermon. So 
Um, another reason to pony up for the text subscription. And uh, if you want to do it, it's text 614-350-3315. Um, and we're, you're going to have more reason to do it because we're going to get into this bracket. We're going to be doing bracket voting for a couple weeks. It's a 14-day free trial. So listen, I know this is like uh, you can read all the important stuff that's going on in the world at cleveland.com for free. This is a little extra bonus time. But if you haven't tried the text, 14-day free trial if you're sitting at home. Just text 614-350-3315. Well, should we move right along to the bracket? Yeah, let's do the, the bracket that I woke up in the middle of the night and sketched this baby out. And I don't know if, if this always is true, but I was like at four o'clock in the morning in my big blue chair um, like an old man, I'm looking at myself on the video chat here. And these I see. I can see it in your eyes. That's you're looking at yourself. <laughs> I'm such an old man. God, it is unbelievable. I feel like Archie Bunker, which is an old man reference. Um, I was like excited when I was doing it because I was what it is, is, again, it's the, the best modern Buckeye. But I was like trying to sketch out all the like the 64 to 68 guys that should be in it and who I'm leaving out. And then I started like seeding and thinking about first round matchups and five, 12 matchups and eight, nine matchups. And I was like literally excited. So I hope if I'm excited, you guys are going to be excited too. Well, point of order. Is it best or favorite? That is a very important point of order from our Sergeant at arms of the podcast, Nathan Baird. Favorite, 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 because Favorite encompasses best to some degree, but favorite is different than best. And I think favorite is more interesting because best, I mean, I just think favorite is better and is what we want to do. Um, so favorite, 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 but, and, and we're, well, here, here comes this whole, we're going to do brackets for a long time here. Now we're going to discuss potential seeds, controversial guys, we're not going to end up with the whole 64, 68 guy bracket. We're not going to give that whole thing to you. We will send that to the texters. But I want to say, um, God, I forgot what I wanted to say. Stop looking at yourself. I know. I'm just like staring into my own eyes. You're so old. Nathan, I can't. I, I literally can't remember what I was going to say. We're not going to reveal everything, but our texters are going to vote. And it's about favorite, 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 favorite. Oh. Underlying baseline. I looked at team captains, team MVPs, and first team all Big Ten players when I was trying to make sure I didn't miss anybody. So if you aren't any of those things, you're going to have a hard time being on this list. There is at least one guy. Actually, no, he was one of them. I'm not sure there's anybody on this list who is none of those. Okay? Because if you... If you weren't an MVP and you weren't a captain, because captain is a very interesting thing that encompasses some of these guys who are great leaders, who are fan favorites, who aren't superstars. But that was sort of my guide when I thought about these dudes. Well, so this has been something that our tech subscribers have been following along all week, because you've been kind of giving them the, the rundown on this since the idea first popped into your head, really. Um, and one of the things you asked them was, so basically the way we set it up is, for people who aren't familiar, there's a Jim Trestle slash, um, I guess, Fickle, Fickle era Luke offense. Fickle. There's one quadrant. 
So think of that as like the East or whatever. And uh, Jim Trestle, Fickle, defense is another quadrant. Urban Meyer slash Ryan Day offense is a quadrant. Urban Meyer, Ryan Day defense is a quadrant. So one of the things that you asked was, and I think one of the things that gets really scrutinized in any of these kind of exercises is who are the number one seeds? And you put it out to the tech subscribers. What makes a number one seed? Before I, I've got the votes tallied from what they came up with. But I'm curious just from your perspective as a person who was the brainchild of all this, um, or this was your brainchild, I guess is the way I should say that. The mastermind. That's what I meant to say. You're the mastermind of this. I like that word. <laughs> what uh what was what is your criteria before you reveal them? What's your criteria for coming up with a number one seed? You are a great program changing, game changing player, and they love you. So You've got to have it all. But if you are not an elite all-American type player, um, you're you're not. And, and, and I'm going to be honest in this. Offensive linemen, for instance, are going to suffer in this thing. It's guys who have a chance to make the biggest impact. And so it's the people that define Ohio State football, the, the people that you bought their jerseys. But this, to me, if you're going to be that high up, you must be a great individual ch- talent who helped Ohio State win games for multiple years. Is it fair to say, not to jump too far ahead, but if there were sort of a sliding scale where greatness and fan love are number one seeds, then that probably slides that the the people maybe down at 16 are the ones, or is it maybe more like right in the middle? Right in the middle is where you get like a player who isn't that good, but the fans loved him or a player who was great, but the fans didn't love him. Is there sort of a scale that slides? I think there's a lot of sort of fan favorite more at the bottom because there's so many. I will say, so the breakdown on this is it's, it's 11 years of Trestle Fickle from 2001 to 2011, and it's eight years of Meyer Day from 2012 to 2019. But there's just, there is more overall talent in the urban Ryan Day era. So it actually worked out those two time periods. You get about the same amount of guys, but once you get down to sort of like 14, 15, 16, you're, there's really not guys who are like demand to be in that like, oh my gosh, if you did the bracket without this guy, it would be an outrage. But there's 10 guys for those three spots. So there I tried to find some fan favorite kind of guys. And I will say, I will say there is one guy I also tried to keep this in mind that we, you, I, we, you guys could. I'd be curious about your input on some of this because some of the fun for me is the matchups in the first round. And I skewed, at least when I did the initial thing, I skewed some of the seeds to create cool first-round matchups. In one time in particular, I really put a guy at a 12 seed who is fan love. Fan love because I want to make dangerous 12 seeds. And I don't think I made all the 12 seeds dangerous enough. But should I just say it? I think this guy is the perfect 12 seed. Steven, maybe you can guess him. Who is like the guy of the last 10 years that was, wasn't was even a starter? But people <laughs> yeah. loved this guy. Kenny Guyton. Kenny yeah. G, baby. Kenny Guyton. Is, is he not the best 12 seed ever? Possibly. Yeah, it, it was to the point that, like, I, when he came in for Braxton Miller for those games, people started to argue, this man could be the starting quarterback at X amount of Big Ten schools. Oh, yeah, he's he's definitely the – if there's a 
a upset watch. It's definitely Kenny Guyton and whoever he's going against, which we'll get into once we get into the bracket, especially because of who he ends up going against. He's definitely an upset alert. And, and like, he was a captain. So that's, mm-hmm. I, I said, oh, everybody fits that. And I was like, oh, no, Kenny doesn't fit it. No, Kenny did. Zach, I was does. a backup quarterback who was a captain. And when he played, by the way, he was the National Offensive Player of the Week, I think, twice yeah. for what he did against Cal and Florida A&M. So the guy could play, but that's why a backup quarterback is definitely going to be in our offensive Urban Meyer side of the, of the bracket. So looking at the number one seeds, because you, 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 like you said, you put a call out to the, the fans, to, the, to our tech subscribers, to ask who they would put as their number one seeds. I went through and tabulated. There were some people who voted for multiple people. There were some people who – there were some skewed voting. So I tried to just keep this to the people who really followed the letter of the law. You gave one vote to each position or to each quadrant. Um, so starting on the, the Jim Trestle – Luke Fickle offense. We're just going to call it the Trestle offense. I think it's easier. That's We're just going to Trestle and Meyer. I think that's probably the, the easier, the fair way to do it. Um, one, two, three, four. Seven players received at least one vote from the tech subscribers as a number one seat. Does that sound like a high number to you? Do you are you surprised that it was that high, or does that seem low? I I think there are four legitimate people for the one seed in that mm-hmm. bracket. And Stephen, you're nodding your head. Who, who are the? If I say there are four legitimate candidates for the one seed in the Trestle offense bracket, who leaps to mind for you? Troy Smith is number one without question, and then Ted Ginn Jr., Maurice Claret, and maybe Michael Jenkins. Or be, no, I'm sorry, Benny Wells is probably going to be number four for me, and then Michael Jenkins if you want to stretch it. But for those of those four, it's Troy Smith, Ted Ginn Jr., Maurice Claret, Benny Wells, depending on what you like and how you kind of view things from that Trussell era could have a say for the number one seed. So I think three of those are right, but I think Troy, Ginn, and uh, Claret, but, but I think the fourth in there, and, and I tallied up some of it also, Nathan, um, Craig Krenzel. When you're the quarterback of a team that wins a national championship, and again, there are a lot of favorites from that 2002 national championship team, but Craig Krenzel is not an All-American, but that guy was the quarterback of a national championship team. So he he got at least some love, didn't he, Nathan? He got a couple of votes. He So of the people you guys have mentioned, um, all of them – Wells did not receive any votes out of the 41 first-place oh, wow. votes. Um, Krenzel was mentioned, but there really was a runaway – not as much of a runaway as it was at some of the other positions, but – pretty substantial support for one guy as the number one seed from the, from the tech subscribers. And that was Troy Smith. He took 19 of the 41 votes. So 46.3% of the vote went to Troy Smith. And then Ted Ginn was uh, respectable, but distant second, 11 votes, 26.8%. Then after that, nobody got more than four. And that was 12 prior. And, and I will say, and again, we're going to reveal some of this stuff. We're not going to reveal the final thing. I would say just as a heads up overall, Having gone through the responses, I think my top seeds matched up pretty well with people think. Because the idea is favorite. It's like, well, it's not my favorite. I mean, I have some guys on here who are my favorite. And I, I didn't cover the team for the whole era we're talking about because it started with Trestle in 2001. I didn't cover the 2002 team. I started in 2005. But, you know, I never covered a guy like Chris Gamble. But I know people love him. So I was glad that my initial thoughts matched up with people. But it's your favorites. So it's your favorites that matter. But to me... 
when you have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and also people loved Troy. He was an underdog story. He was exciting. He changed as a player. He came out of nowhere to win the job as kind of a scrambler who also threw and by his Heisman year, he was a pocket guy who also could get away. I thought Troy was the obvious number one, and so I was not surprised um, that that was how the voting went as well. And he's an Ohio kid. He's from Cleveland, from Glensville, which at that time was a feeder school for the whole Big Ten at that point. This is a kid from Cleveland, Ohio, who beat out Justin's wick for the job, and like you said, won the Heisman, and up until the national championship game, had the consensus number one team in the country every single week his last year here. So, yeah, that's the epitome of being the favorite of an Ohio State fan. Now, two of the guys you guys mentioned, Maurice Claret got two votes. Throw Pryor, like I said, he got four votes. Krenzel got three. Um, and, Doug, you had specifically started this conversation among our tech subscribers about Claret and Pryor. They were both guys that you were considering, but both of them have complicated histories that affect, when you're talking about favorite, affect potentially where you're going to put them on a, on a bracket like this. Maybe kind of take me through your thought process on that, and then we can go to what some of the tech subscribers had to say. So I will say, so Claret in the Trestle offense bracket and Pryor um, in that same bracket, like it's it's two guys that, that is a difficult word with favorite. On the field, just unbelievable players, but then the way it came apart, I will tell you, I did not cover the Maurice Claret stuff. I covered the Terrell Pryor stuff. But tell Terrell Pryor, when he left Ohio State, he wasn't anybody's favorite. So I think that the view of that situation of Tattoo Gate at Ohio State has changed a lot over the years. If people have sort of viewed the NCAA differently, we've seen other scandals in college sports. Every, every Ohio State fan knows what I'm talking about. I think a lot of people have changed their mind. But to me, Claret still would be seated significantly higher than prior for two reasons. One is Claret helped lead them to a national title. They don't win a national title without Maurice Claret. Terrell Pryor did not win a national title at Ohio State. And and maybe just it's because he's been gone longer and he's had more time to do it. Maurice Claret went to prison and Maurice Claret is inspiring a lot of people today. And so I know Stephen, you sat down with him, but this is a guy that Again, if we had done this 10 years ago in 2010, you know, maybe you have a different view of Maurice Claret. But he's been out of Ohio. He only played Ohio State one year. He's almost he's been gone for almost two decades. And the person that he has become and the way he has gone about his life in recent years, I think, affects a view when people think of favorite because they loved him as a player. The guy did some terrible things, but where he is now, I think a lot of people do think of him as a favorite. Would you agree with that, Stephen? And you sat down with Maurice last year. I would. And here's what you kind of alluded to it already. I actually asked him straight up because this was a, I sat down with him maybe a couple, few days after Chase Young's suspension had been passed down and we all knew what was going on there. And I asked him straight up, had that happened in your era? would Chase Young have been playing again this year? And he said, no, there's no way he would have been playing. And I also asked him, so the decisions you made, not the prison stuff and the stuff that happened post all of that, but the decision right after they won a national championship, when he tried to you know, leave early, would, would fan, do you think that would, that this, that decision or attempt to do that would have been taken a little 
been seen a little differently had you been playing in today's game. He said 100%. Whether or not it would have worked or not is out of the question, but fans would have understood why he was doing what he was doing. He's a running back, and you already have a, a low life shelf, a, a low shelf life as a running back, so you got to take advantage of when you are at your peak and leave as early as possible, and you're not getting paid. And like you just said, you are the, one of the key reasons why they just won a national championship. So – Maurice Carras, a guy who's ahead of his time, who has been more of a redeemed story, who doesn't like a, a great redeem, a redemption comeback story, and that's what he's been at this point, which is why he's, as you just said, he'll, he's climbing back up that list of favorites in a way that he wasn't maybe in 2007. So I will say at the, at the moment, I had him as the three seed behind Troy and behind Ted Ginn Jr. I had Maurice Claret as the three seed in the Trestle offense bracket. And I just think it's interesting that time does make a huge difference here. I think it makes it's interesting to see how much people have had time to think about people from the Trestle era compared to how much time they maybe have had time to think about some guys just from the past few years and whether those guys are getting support for things like a number one seed from our readers um, who still maybe haven't fully developed. And it can help a guy either way. It could be a recency bias or it could be their opinion has changed over time as other players have come and gone. Um, I want to let's, I want to read through though some of these, cause it, it, it simplifies what you're talking about. The, the difference of opinion that people have. I want to go to our tech subscribers um, from the three, one, two Claret will always be a hero for that one season. He was magical and could have been the best back in Buckeye history from the eight, five, nine Claret only played one season. Not sure that's <coughs> his ability. Prior played three seasons and had good to great numbers. Prior should be included. Uh, let's see, they're on the 941. I view, I view Claret and Pryor like Bonds and Rose in baseball. Talented but tainted, and others are more <laughs> deserving. Um, now that's, I don't know, in, in that case, those are two guys who are not in the Hall of Fame and may never be there. Uh, that's not what we're necessarily talking about with Claret and Pryor. It's just a matter of where you would put them on a list. But when you're talking about something like favorite, for some people, maybe there, there are fans who would just leave them off entirely. Um, from the 415, Pryor should be seated decently high, two top five AP finishes um, and that on teams that didn't have great overall talent. He and Cam Hamer covered up so many deficiencies on offense and defense. Without Pryor, those offenses would have been painfully average. He also won two huge bowl games, established a lot of the national respect that had been lost in the two BCS losses. Uh, 216, Claret could have been on the Mount Rushmore of all-time Buckeyes, in my opinion, and I mean ever. He blew it. Trying to leave early, bringing Jim Brown in and all that drama, then the arrest. It's a shame. If he would have just played his three years like everyone else, ellipses. Uh, to me and Claret Pryor were not number one seeds, but figured they were no-brainers. That's from the 937. Uh, from 216, as a favorite Buckeye, no way on Pryor. Never liked him. Diva. Through the recruiting process and obviously issues while on campus. Same with Claret. Ugh, no way. Steven, I mean, as someone who grew up in Columbus and followed this team at least, you know, um, from a, from from an arm's length, does that sound like what you would expect from Ohio State fans? Like there's there's love there. There's people who think those guys are among the greatest Buckeyes, and there's people who I mean, literally say, "Oh, no way." Yeah, especially with the the Terrell Pryor stuff. The, obviously, Doug, you were covering this team, so you clearly have more insight than the guy that was like 12 years old at that point. But it seemed Terrell Pryor was one of the first people that I remember being, like I said, like 12 years old at that point, who really embrace the recruiting process and doing the here's my top 10 here's my top five here's my top two and if i'm if i'm thinking correctly it came down to ohio state michigan which is like you know the biggest rivalry in sports and that's what it came down to and 
This is the number one player in the country, the highest rated recruit Ohio State has ever had. And it seemed like at that point in time, he's fitting great today. You just saw over today, Troy a lot of putting out Clemson, Ohio State, or his top two schools that he's going to choose him to. So he's fitting great today as far as doing all that type of stuff. But once again, kind of a person before his time with turning it into a spectacle and really enjoying the recruiting process from a public standpoint and taking everything that comes with it. And when it's not happening as a consistent around college football, it can be kind of annoying, especially if you don't deliver a national championship or a Heisman Trophy in your time. Yeah, right. That that he again, like Claret, both those guys to some degree were like a little ahead of their time and things that they were doing that a lot of people, a lot of traditional fans at the time didn't love that now all of a sudden everybody does it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think some there were definitely some Ohio State fans who were turned off by that whole thing. Is this guy worth it? Um, and then he got here and he got on the field and he started doing some stuff that people had never yeah. seen before. And he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the guy who, like, runs like that and can throw. So I, I will say, um, again, I have prior seated significantly lower than Claret, but I just double-checked. The only offensive player that played with Pryor that I have seated higher than him is Beanie Wells. So there are some very popular players offensively from the Trestle era, whether it's the guys we already mentioned, you know, Troy and Ted and guys like that, or Krenzel and Michael Jenkins, guys like that. Um, You know, there are some really good receivers. I have Santonio Holmes and Anthony Gonzalez in this bracket. Um, so uh, Terrell Pryor, to me at this point, again, Maurice Claret went to prison. Like w- Maurice Claret did terrible things, but if you allow a person to be redeemed, I just feel like Claret is much more toward the favorite kind of things that you would say, man, I embrace that guy. He's one of my favorite Buckeyes and Pryor when it comes to that designation, still just has a little more baggage to it. Listen, I don't know that a texter said this, Nathan, specifically. Terrell Pryor ended Jim Tressel's career. So, you know, yeah, I, I don't spelled it out quite that way, but it was certainly in there's there are allusions to what his actions. Uh, the way they reflected on the entire program, sure. And fans love Jim Tressel. Fans love Jim Tressel to this day. And I've told this story before. I maybe haven't told it for a couple of years on this podcast. But when we, when Terrell Pryor got here and having covered his recruitment, I met with another Ohio State writer. We talked about the idea of planning a book and trying to follow Pryor through his career. And because we said at that time, this guy is either going to lead Ohio State to a national championship or he's going to tear this program down. And either way, it's going to be incredible. And it ended up being one of those. Uh, and they weren't that far away from it being both. Uh, if they don't lose at Wisconsin uh, in 2010, uh, or is it 2009? Uh, you know, who knows what would have happened? So that's how special that guy was. That's how much hype there was around him. That's how much talent that guy had. Um, and I will say, as much as I'm saying that he hasn't maybe redeemed himself in the same way that Claret has, I talked to Terrell several times when he was with the Browns. Uh, Ohio, uh, the Browns came and played a, a scrimmage game in Ohio Stadium one time. He had a very good reception. I followed him around as he was being greeted by fans and given high fives and signing autographs. I think not to the degree of Claret, but I think a lot of people have come around on Terrell Pryor. So he's got to be in this bracket, and he's in this bracket for sure. 
I just think he's more in the middle of the bracket than than a top six seed, for for instance. From the five one three, Claret is a point of disappointment for the lost potential and just how everything turned out with him. Also, OSU haters love bringing it up and throwing it in our faces. Pryor is in those lost years, and he never really felt like a true Buckeye. So I think that's an interesting when again we're talking about favorites. I think sometimes that is important. Like, how do you feel? Did you feel a connection to those guys? Um, there, are, there are players who come through and they feel like they're, I mean, obviously they're helping your team win, but you don't maybe necessarily get the same emotional connection with them that you do with others. But as much as Claret has been a, a redemption story, I, I think part of his appeal stretches beyond that. And there were two answers that I think really speak to that one, Tom from the class of 62, there is no play as significant and unscripted as Claret stealing the ball back after the interception. Mm-hmm. It was Claret's sheer determination and not playing by the rules that enabled him to do that. Every other player would have tackled the player, but not Maurice. It was schoolyard rules. That's our ball. Greatest play ever for me. And from our buddy Joe Mustachio in the 614, Claret maybe has the best play in Buckeye history with that strip fumble he took from Sean Taylor after designing T in the end zone. Without that, the Buckeyes could have lost that game. So when a guy has just like a singular moment, sometimes I think that can shine through even really rough years later, assuming probably, that they kind of do the redemption tour that Maurice Claret has pretty effectively been doing here for a few years. And again, on that stage, on yeah. that stage, again, yeah. arguably, they hadn't won a national championship in 34 years. They're a huge underdog to this dominating dynasty of Miami, and Maurice Claret makes a play like that and turns turns a mistake around in, instantly. You know, I, someone said, yes. Ohio State won a Sugar Bowl against Arkansas and won a Rose Bowl against Oregon. And I'm sure people remember the Terrell Pryor pass to Jake Ballard in that Oregon Rose Bowl. Maybe Jake Ballard should be in 16 seed or something here. But but that, uh, Stephen, you were that correct that play big. against Sean Taylor is unbelievable. And I wanted to bring this up because I see I hadn't thought of this. Because, again, we acknowledge our nationwide and and worldwide audience for this podcast. But clearly, most of the people that are listening to this and most of our Texas are in Ohio or lived in Ohio at some point. I had not taken being from Ohio into account for this, but perhaps that should matter a little bit. Or maybe it sort of intangibly already does matter and you don't have to think about it. Terrell Pryor from Western Pennsylvania was the number one recruit in the country, was kind of courting that attention. Maurice Claret's an Ohio guy. Ted Ginn, Ohio guy. Troy Smith, Ohio guy. When we run through some of these top seeds, they're not all Ohio guys, but Stephen, do you think that matters? That these people feel, when you say favorite, if you're an Ohio guy, does that encourage you to be more of a favorite to Ohio fans? No. Yes and no. No, because that's the Trestle era. This is this is obviously the a lot of these Ohio guys are going to be in Trestle's offense and Trestle's defense. While when you go to Urban side, it's going to be more national guys where they're just as favorited. It's just Trestle decided that I'm going to take the best talent in Ohio and we're going to compete at a high level. We're going to go beat Michigan and we're going to compete for national championships. He played in three and he won one. He ended a to the point of Maurice Carr in that play. They ended a dynasty. The second the second dynasty of the U got ended because of Maurice Corrette and what the, that team did. While Urban Meyer came in here and said, 
I'm Urban Meyer, and we can go get the best player from Texas, from Florida, from California, from North Carolina, from New Jersey, and all over the place. And that's how you get the 2019 team where you had a 2017 class of guys. A lot of those, none of those guys are from Ohio, and this is going to be a bunch of first and second round picks from that class. So I don't know if Ohio matters as much. Maybe, maybe if you're going to name regions, but not as much because because it was two totally different ways of building a program between Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at out the at the Urban guys, the 32 guys in the Urban bracket, and like more than far more than half yeah. are not from Ohio. To your point, so yeah, correct. Um, yeah, among other players who received a vote in that that number one question, Anthony Gonzalez is one who you just mentioned. Boom Heron. Another person they thought should be a number one seed, I believe. I saw him in, in some of our going back and forth mentioned as a, a much lower seed, but certainly in the running for the bracket. Anyone else that you plausibly thought should have been a number one vote? Or surprised that they didn't get a one vote? No, no. Not, not really. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of like guys in the middle. Um, Troy is really Troy is really dominating. And, and again, him winning and, the Heisman helped so much. Certainly. And yeah. Teddy, Teddy is so special. I think if we did a thing that was like the most special Buckeye yeah. of the last 20 years, I mean, you bring guys like Chase Young into the equation with stuff like that. I don't know that anybody would beat Ted Ginn Jr. if you were talking about special Buckeyes, because that's the kind of thing it's like. You, I'm doing it right now. I'm not even sure I was here for it, but I've watched it enough times. I have like a Ted Ginn Jr. punt return in my head where he starts accelerating. And by the time he hits the end zone, it feels like he's going 100 miles per hour. And like those are the kind of things when you can conjure up a highlight. And again, I can conjure up the, te- the Troy Smith escapes from the pocket against Michigan and throws the path to Anthony, the pass to Anthony Gonzalez at the two-yard line to set up the winning score. I can conjure that right now. So when you have plays like that, man, that is how can you not be a favorite? And that is just hard. Uh, I, and as we get through all these brackets, um, there are just some dominating guys at the top of the brackets, and it's like, yeah, you're good, but there's no way that you should be a one seed over some of these dudes that Ohio State has run through here. Ted is the only one where it's he, like you make the argument for it because to your point, he's the first Ohio State player I ever saw where you just expected something crazy to happen, where regardless of where he was on the field, you respect you expected some craziness to happen when the ball was in his hands. Well, those two guys received seventy three percent of the vote combined for that from the fans. So I imagine as the fans start voting, uh, we may see those guys matched up somewhere down the line later in the bracket. That is the. Jim Trestle, offensive quadrant of our... Hey, Nathan. Yep. Let me add one thing that I have not mentioned yet that needs to be mentioned in the Trestle offense bracket because people have brought this up. Mike Nugent is in here as a kicker. People love Mike Nugent. Mike Nugent was mentioned. And I said, I don't know that I necessarily had great underdog 12 seeds everywhere. Mike Nugent is my 12 seed in this bracket. So again, we may adjust this a little bit we're going to sprinkle the seeding out on cleveland.com slash OSU. We're going to text it to our tech subscribers as soon as we finalize it. I don't know that, that any fan base could love a kicker more. And again, I didn't cover him. His last year was 04, and I got here in 05. 
They say nuge. When you have a fan base that says a says a nickname and goes uh, for a nickname of a kicker, you know you love that guy. So we there is no special teams category for this. Special teams people may work themselves into this. Not many of them, because if you've noticed, Ohio State's had some great players in the last 20 years. Mike Nugent, as it stands, the 12th seed in the Trestle offense bracket. Mike Nugent's name came up several times among the people who were just throwing out other names that they felt had to be included. They knew they wouldn't be number one seeds necessarily, but guys that were like, you can't do this bracket if this guy's not involved. So he was definitely on that list. Um, that is the Jim Trestle offensive quadrant. We've got three other quadrants to go through. We will do that after we come back from this break. You are listening to Buckeye Talk. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I am Nathan Baird, Cleveland.com, along with Doug Lee and Reese, Stephen Means. We are running through the candidates for our. Do we ever come up with an overall name for this bracket? It doesn't have a. It's just like favorite Buckeye of the modern era. Yeah, I was calling it the favorite modern football Buckeye because I do think it's like it's a basketball bracket. But it's not all sports. You know, Kyle Snyder's not in here and and David Lighty and Greg Godin and Mike Conley and all the guys that you love from the basketball team aren't in here. So I feel like we need to say football, but I think loose it's something like favorite modern football buckeye bracket, which is not does not exactly roll off the tongue. Rolls off the tongue, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we so we we took care of the if you listen to the first uh, portion of this podcast, we took care of the the Jim Trestle Luke Fickle offensive era. We're going to jump over now in going back to the future, jumping to the Urban Meyer Ryan Day defensive era, where this actually ended up being the most competitive uh, spot as far as guys, our, our text readers voting for who should have the number one seed. Um, there were four players who received three or more votes. Two of them were really fighting for that number one spot, but the four players who received three or more votes out of the 40 or so that voted um, your guys best guess as to who those four guys were. I kind of know. So Steven, you guess. This is, I mean, Chase, if your last name is a Bosa and Malik Hooker. One of the Bosa's. Really? Yes. Okay, well then maybe Ryan Shazier. I'll throw him into that. Just Ryan Shazier was the fourth one, along with Chase Young and Malik Cooker. Now the Bosa thing was tricky because there were a couple times where people did not specify a Bosa. They just said Bosa. And, just and Bosa. can I, can I just preview something here? I am tinkering with the idea of of a play-in game in the in one of the brackets being a brothers versus brothers play-in game. But the Bosa brothers need to be separated. You cannot make them one entity. But yeah. I will reveal that when we get to the appropriate bracket. But um, but the, I think both Bosas are high. But Joey clearly got more support than Nick, right? I think yeah. I think Joey is Nick is the better. Of the two, and that's been like a thing since Joey Bose has been here. That hey, I heard that Joey's got a little brother who's so much better than he is, and people really. But I think Joey's the more fan favorite Buckeye. One, because he was first. Two, he had personality after he had sacks, and he was a part of a national championship team. 
And he played so, longer. He played yeah, three yeah. full important seasons. Right. Nick did not play all that much as a freshman, was good as a sophomore, and then we know what happened. His junior mm-hmm. year ended after two games. Yeah. Uh, Nick Bosa was only mentioned by full name on, but with one vote for a number one seat. And that may just be a, a, a byproduct of people thinking he's good, but never thinking he's better than Joey for whatever reason, or more favored well, than Joey. Yes, because as, as Steven said, I think better is an interesting debate. I think yeah. favorite, there is no debate with Joey and Nick, partially right. by circumstance, partially by national championship, partially by a lot of things. So this was our toughest or tightest vote from the readers. Like I said, we got about 40, um, 40 ish votes, I think, for all four of these quadrants. Um, two votes separated the winner and the runner up in this bracket. Did, did Chase win? Joey Bosa was number one. Okay. If I don't he know. Steal some, some fake votes that were supposed to have been Nick Bosa's, but people just didn't specify. But I'm pretty sure I tried to be, I tried to be strict with it. And Joey Bosa had 14 votes. Chase Young had 12. So, again, we're talking about the Urban Meyer defense bracket. I will just tell you, when I did my initial bracket, talking about all these guys who got votes – um, again, I'm, I'm pretty happy that I matched up with a lot of people. This was, these were my top six seeds initially. One, Chase Young. Two, Joey Bosa. Three, Nick Bosa. Four, Malik Hooker. Five, Jeff Okuda. Six, Ryan Shazier. Given the voting, I might think about I would maybe Shazier deserves to move up. Mm-hmm. This, I think you guys can – and again, this is that was my initial one. And we are allowing the texters and this discussion to influence the final seating because we are still in the committee meeting room. Um, we are not finished with this bracket. But I I have Chase ahead of Joey. I think that's right. the battle. For number one, as Nathan just explained it, Chase would get my vote. I think I think, first of all, for the right, there's an argument that he should be three, but one, I think Chase is number one. one I mean, we all just saw what he did three months ago. And as the personality with Joey was great, but Chase was all of that, plus the personality. He's a likable guy. And to the point of what we were talking about earlier with Maurice Carr and Terrell Pryor, well, he doesn't live in an age where fans are going to automatically be on the side of the NCAA. He lives, on, he lives in an era where people were player first. And because of that, when he did go through his suspension situation, you saw the outpouring from professional athletes, from fans and everybody in between saying that Chase should not have to sit or this is an unfair thing that Chase is having to sit any type of game or have any type of suspension for what was going on. And so, once again, this is a guy who's benefiting from living in a different time span, but also he was really good on a football field. I also wonder, we were talking before about time frame and how you know Chase Young just ended his Ohio State career a few weeks ago still, really. We're only in the beginning, you know, middle of March. Uh, Joey Bosa, not only has he had more, again, you talked about his accomplishments, Stephen, that in some ways, as far as like some team things, surpassed what Chase Young was able to do. But he also has now been off in the NFL, making a star of himself in the NFL and just kind of extending that consciousness and, and kind of extending his legacy a little bit. So I'm wondering if that still plays into this. If you were to vote this again in five years after Chase Young has maybe been NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year and been to a Pro Bowl or, or a couple of them or whatever, does that start to skew the way people 
vote in just for this most recent glut of guys. I do yeah. think it's hard, too, when we talk about accomplishments, right? I mean, Joey was an integral part of a national championship, but Chase was a defensive player who got invited to the Heisman ceremony. You know, like it's because, again, there's a lot. Joey played. They both played three years, but probably Joey over the length of his three years had the greater impact. He had a greater impact as a freshman than Chase did. Joey as a sophomore was an All-American. Chase wasn't an All-American as a sophomore. But Chase's junior year was the best individual year. Joey didn't have a single year as good as Chase's best year. Joey in year three, the stats dropped off a little bit because he was triple teamed all the time. So I think it's such a fascinating comparison because, I mean, all these different things, they're so alike in so many ways. But when you try to split hairs, they have some stark differences. I think the difference... I think there are a couple things. For starters, what more as a fan are you going to value? Is it the he's a defensive player who got invited to New York, which rarely ever happens, or the other one won a national championship? So what gets valued more? Is it the individual award or is it the team success? Since you are you are a fan of Ohio State football, but also you are here, so this is more of a question for you, Doug. What was the defensive? line route what did it look like when joey bosa arrived versus when chase young arrived because did that have any impact on who was able to do more earlier on just because one guy had nfl players in front of him and the other guy didn't yeah i mean adolphus washington was good um steve miller was good Mm -hmm. um i'm trying to think of like every michael bennett was a good defensive tackle joey probably had a little more talent around him than chase did um last year also it's hard right Joey was our because Joey was recruited by Mike Vrabel, right? Yeah. But then Larry Johnson, Joey's breakout year of of in as a sophomore in 2014 mm-hmm. was the was the first year of Larry Johnson where all Ohio State fans started understanding like Larry Joey Bosa, like, introduced Larry Johnson to Ohio State fans. Here is this, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi kind yeah. of figure of defensive line play. And the first time that Ohio State fans ever started learning about this guy who develops first-rounders and this hand-fighting technique he teaches and the way that he relates to his players, Joey brought that to us. Joey was the vessel that brought that to us. By the time – and then and then on the other hand – like Chase is like is the, the peak. Top. Yeah. Larry Johnson got Chase here. And then look, it's almost like this is the piece de resistance. Should I not say fancy words? This is like, right? I mean, everything about, and we've talked about it a million times this season, everything about playing at defensive end at Ohio State has been an upswing, upswing, upswing. And Chase Young is the peak. You cannot get higher than that. So I. I I respect Texter vote. And and here's the thing. It's going to come down to it. I mean, like, maybe there'll be an upset, but this is probably the regional final for the urban yeah. defense. Oh, Joey yeah. versus Chase. I will be fascinated to see that vote, but to me, Chase is the one seed. It's so, almost like having, like, I don't have kids, obviously, but, like, your, your first child is, like, usually the favorite in a lot of people's household, even though – and then, like, the younger child probably going to end up being the better athlete in most cases. But, you know, no, nothing can nothing compares to your first, and Joey's the first. 
I am the oldest child of three. I definitely feel like I am the favorite. I don't know if you guys have a similar experience. Do your siblings listen to this podcast? (laughs) Probably not. Okay. But I think they would be just as quick to say it. (coughs) Would you like to name a favorite child today? Do I want to name a favorite child? No. I'm just the favorite parent. I know that. Um, I, I will say, but I would say in a family, the people who best know who the favorite child is very well may be the non-favorite child. Yeah. So like the idea of like, oh yeah, Nathan's the favorite. I mean, it would not yeah. be a surprise to anybody. I don't think either of my parents would admit it, but are, are, do either of you have siblings even? I don't know if we've ever talked about that. I no. have a younger sister and uh, I'm the favorite. <laughs> I have a brother, but I'm the favorite, 100%. Look at that. This is the most favorite podcast. I just know it. Um, I just know it. Ryan but, but, but no, no, no. My nephew, my nephew, I'm going to shout out my nephew, Julian, who listens to this podcast, and his mother is my sister. I'm just kidding. Grandma loves your mom just as much as she loves me. But, I mean, I'm so lovable. Okay. Hi, Julian. Hi, Audrey. Uh, Ryan Shazier and Malik Hooker, those are the other two guys who got the most votes, four and three, respectively. The only other player from the Texters to get multiple number one votes for the Meyer defensive era, Sam Hubbard. Here's an admission. Sam Hubbard, not in my initial seating. Sam Hubbard was not one of my initial 16. And this is one of the things that I am going to change, that is going to be changed. Sam Hubbard will make the bracket that he got. Um, that much attention. But listen, I- I'm telling you, man, some of the bottom, I mean, it's. Darren Lee. Is uh, he? Darren a... Lee was not in my bracket. Darren Lee received one vote. Tyvis okay. Powell received one vote. Vaughn Bell received one vote. Nick Bosa, like I said, at least one vote, depending on what people meant to vote for. And then my favorite vote of maybe all of the votes that we got from anybody on any of these four quadrants, because it is favorite, BB Landers. Yeah. Was that from BB? I saw that because they didn't even say BB Landers. They just said BB, like everybody knows. And I was like, BB, who's BB? Yeah. Well, and at first, I didn't even because all they said was BB. And at first, I was like, I should have maybe responded to the texture, but we were, frankly, I'll let you guys in on the secret. We were doing this right before we started this podcast. So there really wasn't time. But like, I was thinking, did they mean Bosa Brothers? Is there a player with the initials BB that I just don't know because I haven't been around as long? But I. I'm pretty sure they meant BB Landers. It's the hat. So, so let, hat me run, let me run through some of these guys because this was maybe th- this was a difficult one. Um, this was one of the more difficult ones I thought to maybe cut down. And again, the idea if, if I'm leaving Sam Hubbard and Darren Lee completely out of it, you know how difficult it is that we're talking about. And again, I think some adjustments are going to be made because I definitely have some players in there who are like really good, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure legitimately that they're favorites. For instance, I think this guy probably stays in. I had Joshua Perry as the 16 seed. He's, he's in the media right now. He's like a super, I love Joshua Perry. Joshua Perry. I took a picture with me. I don't know if people saw it on Twitter. I went to an eighties dance a couple weeks ago that there is a fundraiser for my school district every year. 
And the way they raise the funds is they have an 80s dance for a bunch of middle-aged knuckleheads like me. So it's like my favorite night of the year. You dress up. They have like appetizer. They have like meat in dough in a variety of forms as the appetizers. And they have a live 80s band. I freaking love it. I dance my butt off at this thing. And Joshua Perry was the guest speaker at the thing this year because it raises money for an educational foundation. And Joshua Perry was there. And it was like dressed like the 80s. And I was dressed like Ducky from 16 Candles. No, not 16 Candles, from Pretty in Pink. And my wife wore like a pink prom dress. And Joshua Perry was like in a run DMC, kind of like Adidas tracksuit. And he was like, I don't know, is this 80s? And I was like, you weren't born in the 80s, were you? He was like, I was born in 1994. So this was this room of middle-aged suburban lamos. And in that room... I was Joshua Perry's hero because I am a middle-aged suburban lamo, but at least I was a middle-aged suburban lamo that he knew. So I think just for that and for posing for a photo with me in my ducky outfit, I think Joshua Perry has to be the 16th seed. And by the way, he was the leading tackler for a national championship team. So I think like he's he was a captain, he was productive. And I think people like him. At least I like him. He might just get in for that. I had Tyvis Powell as the 15 seed. Steven, how can Tyvis Tyvis Powell, maybe production-wise doesn't make it. How can Tyvis Powell not be in? Everybody loves he's, Tyvis Powell, don't a, they? First of all, the relationship he and Cardell Jones had during their time at Ohio State is legendary. And the way they interacted with each other, especially when they were talking to the media. Well, that's where personality comes into play. Even if your, your your production might not be there as much, but he was good. He was good enough to get on an NFL team. So he was he was a quality player, but also that personality is where that comes in. And to the point of the BB Landers maybe kind of falls under that same guideline as well, where he was pretty productive last season, but also he wore a hat and had a gut. And that, those were when you're a lower seed, it can't just be about production. It's got to be some other things that you got to do to be a fan favorite. I think B.B. Landers might be making the play-in game. Here are some guys that I think are now in trouble when we think about Darren Lee and Sam Hubbard getting in. I had Draymond Jones at the 14 seed. He's a really good player. He really only had one great year. I don't know that he'll stay in. I had Malik Harrison as the 13 seed. Malik Harrison is, like, super productive. He's kind of quiet. I don't know if he's anybody's favorite. I had Bradley Roby as the 12. He was, like, early. He kind of got the the – cornerback the nfl cornerback pipeline started yeah i don't know that his name up his name came up very much so i think those are three guys that could be in trouble guys i also had seat had seated von bell he's got to be in there i had tyquan lewis in there that guy was defensive the big 10 defensive player of the year i think he's got to be in there and then this is one of my very favorite matchups in the whole bracket and i really want to keep it an eight nine first round game between Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward. Two first-round corners from Northeast Ohio. But I don't think, I don't know that either deserves to be any higher. You know, I mean, I had Ryan Shazier as my initial six seed. There's no way Lattimore or Ward are ahead of Ryan Shazier. So again, I, this is what we're talking about. This is a reminder of Ohio State talent. It's like, oh yeah, uh, those two cornerbacks who both were drafted in the first 15 picks in the draft. You think they should be an eight or a nine seed? I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, Roby has about um, forty million dollars as a consolation prize now. Yeah, he'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> to, didn't... possibly getting dropped yeah. off the ballot. Yeah. 
You didn't see his name pop up very much, did you, in texture responses? Um, I'd have to – there was a lot of people, and I should say for those that you texted in, a lot of people who were throwing in, hey, don't forget about these guys, don't forget about these guys. And I think Doug has probably looked through those closer than I did. So his name may have come up in there a little bit, but I I was looking more just tabulating these number one seeds. No, I I did – I tried to tabulate some of the, hey, don't forget about people, and he just was not super high on the list. Yeah. And, and that may be a, that may be a byproduct of just kind of I know you said he was a little bit of a trendsetter, but maybe he gets folded in now in this just constant line of the guys who are NFL bound cornerbacks from Ohio State, whether that's Lattimore, Ward, you know, uh, Akuda. Nobody gave Jeff Akuda a number one vote. I thought I was a little bit surprised by that. I thought maybe just because of kind of his personality and and the recency bias, maybe somebody would have slipped him in. His name did I think come up on some other lists. But like, you know, I think sometimes when it's when it's and it's may have happened a little bit with the Boses and Young and the other defensive ends, too, it gets the guys just kind of melt together a little bit over time. Sometimes if you don't have some kind of personality or some kind of singular moment, it can be difficult to break yourself away from that just kind of nonstop string. How much of that? Go ahead, Stephen. How much of that, especially with cornerback? Jeffrey Okuda was clearly amazing last year, but. He only had three interceptions in his career. It's 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 the with Chase it was loud and in your face and you saw the the sacks with Joe with a lot of the defensive linemen it's it's loud because it's sacks and you see it all the time with these defensive backs it's just more sound and they're not allowing catches but if you're not getting the interceptions or you're not Damon Arnett with the trash talk if if Jeffrey Okuda had Damon Arnett's personality as far as the amount of trash talk in the media and saying things like we're gonna go win the Natty and all everything that came with that. If that was one human being, that's the guy who could compete for a number one seed in a bracket like this. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to move Okuda down. I think I, again, I had him at five, but again, for favorite, he was so good. But yeah, I think he just he, he was a little more uh, low key. But yeah. also, I think sometimes with the most recent guys, this probably happens with the older guys too. But once people actually see this bracket, maybe it jogs something. Maybe they think, oh, you're right, Jeff Okuda. How could I forget about him? So. Right. I don't know. We'll see how the voting goes. I also wonder if just little things. We're talking about those singular moments. Like if the officials let Jordan Fuller's intercept or fumble return stand against Clemson, and it stands up as the winning play of that game, then yeah, there it is. Because there's his play. Make this list. Yeah. By having just this, or does he is he getting more support from our textures in the votes? Uh, I'm curious. Just like, those little things sometimes make a difference. And I think like he got one mention, but but not a lot of support. Right. Um, a couple other guys I wanted to mention, and I want to clarify some things before we move on to the next bracket. Um, I didn't have him in the initial bracket, but he was mentioned a couple times. Um, Cam Johnston as a punter. Um, I once wrote a column about how Cam Johnston was probably the best player on the 2015 Ohio State team in terms of doing your job the best. That guy was a weapon. Uh, to me, a kicker is offense and a punter is defense, if we're talking about this kind of stuff. I think I might have to try to squeeze in Cam Johnston. We'll see. And then uh, I want to make a point of information. Um, a couple guys, a very few couple guys, straddled both eras. That they played both in like 11, which was the last year of Trestle Fickle, and 12, which is the first year of Urban Ryan Day. And I think I, – I, I don't know that there's anybody who's a better example of that than John Simon, who was one of Urban's favorite players as a senior in 2012. I have John Simon in the trestle bracket just because, frankly, there are fewer 
people defensively in the trestle bracket who have to be squeezed in. And there's just a couple more people uh, defensively who have to be squeezed into the urban bracket. So if you think we're leaving out John Simon, we'll get to him with the trestle defense. And really, sometimes you're splitting hairs there, but those guys came to Ohio State because of, or in, in his case, came to Ohio State because of the Jim Trestle era, not because of the Urban Meyer, even if that's where he maybe some of those guys could have had their best years straddling that time. But if they were brought in, recruited, signed under Jim Trestle, it almost makes more sense to me to lean that side as far as where you're putting them. But, I, but you, you, it just gives you some flexibility. So, again, we have to come to a final consensus on uh, our – do we want – final consensus is our one seed here, Chase. Do we, are we in agreement on that? That is going to be Chase Young one, Joey Bosa two. He would yes. be my number one. Yes. Okay. So we will overrule the slight texture edge, and Chase Young will be the number one seed in the uh, urban defense bracket. By the way, I want to throw this out there because you already mentioned the punter. Somebody who was responding, a uh, texter from the 614, talking about how – in response to the Maurice Claret question about he, he was a monster off the field um, and delivered the crystal ball, so he has to be high, also said, also, you can't do this bracket without Drew Christman. I mean, but uh, I, I saw uh, Andy Andy Groom got mentioned by people, B.J. Sander, right? I mean, those, I think those were all trestle punters before I got here. Listen, man, like, people love punters. As someone who has covered the entire urban era, you get 32, I guess, 34 players from the from the Urban Day era. No offense. Let me tell you, yes, you can do this bracket without Drew Christman. <laughs> but, I mean, but it's interesting because he's clearly not one of the 34 best players. But, I mean, with a guy with his personality, the way he kind of cultivates it, the way he puts it out there, that it, it, it makes you more of a favorite sometimes than someone like Malik Harrison, who was a really good player, an underrated player for this last team but doesn't have that same kind of like out there personality. He is a water bottle flipper. I had not considered the water bottle flipper. Sure. And he cut, he cut his hair off in solidarity with his grandma. He proposed yeah. at the spring game. And he had proposed at the spring game. He does a lot of things that are off of football that have nothing to do with football that make him a fan favorite. I I'm think not, that's the part of the problem. I'm not trying to talk you into him. I'm just saying, let's look at this from every angle. It's all right. It's, I, yeah, no, I don't want to. I am imagining a play in game. In the trestle, excuse me, in the urban defense bracket of Cam Johnston versus Drew Chrisman. And we can decide who people liked best as go. the urban era punter. And then they can get in and get smoked by Chase Young in the first round. <laughs> if, if nothing else to add from the Meyer defense, let's, let's flip it back an era and start can talking we, about I, Let go me ahead. interject because I, I want to get this out there and get this promoted. Um, because this is an actual, how do I phrase this? This is an actual fake bracket, not a fake, fake bracket, but our company advanced communications, we have outlets all over the country from Portland, Oregon, to Alabama, to Newark, New Jersey, to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, to Michigan, to Syracuse. And across our country, we are doing an NCAA tournament bracket. It's done. Steve Politi, the fine columnist for NJ.com, is spearheading this. You can find information about it on cleveland.com slash OSU. But the bracket is out, and you are going to be able to vote teams through this tournament. It is the actual basketball team from this year, and three of them are from Ohio. And believe it or not, they are all in the same region. So, Stephen, can you explain that part of it? 
Yeah, they're all in the East region. Dayton would be the number one overall seed in that region, and they would play number 16, Siena. Ohio State would be number five, and they would play Stephen F. Austin, the number 12 seed. And Akron, let me locate them again. I'm sorry. Yeah. The Zips. The they were, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Akron, would, as the number 13 seed, would play number four, Maryland. And I don't hate this bracket. It makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Obi Toppin's a finalist for National Player of the Year award. I didn't vote for him. I, to all disclosure, I voted for Luca Garza because he's having 24 points in the left rebounds game, which is ridiculous. But Obi Toppin's in first, uh, a first-team All-American, and he has Dayton as a top-five team in the country right now. That makes a lot of sense. Akron looked like, in the little amount I've paid attention to Maction this year, they looked like they were going to be the team to be in the in the MAC to get to the NCAA tournament this year. And Ohio State has turned their season around. They had ugly January and February. They got it together and now look like a team that can make a deep run in the tournament the same way they did early in the season. And I think Ohio State, Sweet 16 easily. And if this is the bracket, they're not losing to Stephen F. Austin. They've beaten Maryland already in a game, and they would play the winner of the Maryland-Akron game in the second round of the tournament. Maryland There's, is their f- opposite four seed? Yeah. And you and just said be- Ohio State would make the Sweet 16 easily because they would beat Maryland? I think they can beat Maryland. They, first of all, Maryland, already- wait, 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 wait. I'm confused. Hold on. I must be thinking of a different Maryland team other than the one that tied for first place in the Big Ten, was the best team in the conference mm-hmm. most of the year, lost yeah. to Ohio State at home. Correct. But when Ohio State doesn't play at home, they're like half the team they were at home. I'm not thinking that it's a different Maryland than that team, right? Not well, that to team. To be fair, to be fair, Ohio State is one and one on neutral courts. And the one, the team they lost to West Virginia, they should have won that game. They basically just threw it away at the end of the game by starting to turn the ball over. I think getting to the Sweet 16 isn't crazy. Now, no, I no, think that's not what you said. You said like it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> I'm glad this season ended. You need to be disinfected about your Ohio State basketball point of view. Oh well, of course. I mean, beat Maryland. That's no problem at all. Um, Man, that was a round of 32 game. That That's about as yeah. good of a round of 32 game as you can get. Conference foes, plus they hate each other. Yeah, oh, especially after what happened when they played here. And Maryland's head coach decided to say a lot of interesting – basically called Caleb Weston a bully, and it got into a media spat between him and Chris Holtman. That would have been fun to watch. I think Luther Muhammad did a really solid job the two times they played it played Maryland against Anthony Cowan Jr. Most of his points were coming from the free throw line. Ohio State was shooting the ball better at this point. It would have been fun to watch that matchup along with Caleb Weston inside and see if he can in some way become a better two-point shooter because he's been great at the three-point line. It's just his finishing ability. Okay, I won't say easily then. I will say I will give – I take Ohio State to win the game. Not easily, but it would be a game. I think they'd win that game. And then the winner of that game, had things held to form, would have played <laughs> – <clears throat> Excuse me. Number one seed Dayton, right? Yes. Which and would have been having covered that Ohio State Dayton game in the NCAA tournament in that first round uh, thing in Buffalo, mm-hmm. the last game of Aaron Kraft's career, um, and the way Dayton reacted to it's funny to think about that. The, the infamous the University of Dayton headline, um, yeah. in the Dayton Daily News after that game, and now here we are in a world where Dayton is clearly was the best team in Ohio this year. And I don't think you could argue they're, are they a, they're a better basketball program than Ohio State right now. Would you agree with that or would you disagree 
who is the best basketball program in the state of Ohio right now? Easily. I also voted for their coach as coach of the year this year. This is a mid-major team, top five in the country. Ohio State seems to be climbing towards getting back to what they were at Thad Mata's heyday. Well, Dayton is already there. And so it'd be interesting. In that first game in Buffalo, Ohio State was, I think, the favorite in that game, and which is why the V date was a thing. This time around, Ohio State wouldn't be the favorite, even if they did have some players that were more talented. Dayton has the better coach right now. They have the better coach. They have the better, the best player in the game. And I think if you went, who are the top five players? Three of those five would be Dayton players. So Dayton's the better program right now. So if you guys want to take part in this, if you guys want to vote and figure out. Would Ohio, what would an Ohio State-Maryland game in, this, in the second round of this fake tournament look like? Would Ohio State get to play Dayton? Go to playthetournament.com. P-L-A-Y-T-H-E tournament.com. All the information is there. You can see the full bracket, every single region. Again, Ohio State, a five seed. Um, we are bracket crazy at cleveland.com. And, and frankly, I've seen it. There are a lot of places doing this. Um, where they're doing some some trying to recreate a tournament that isn't going to happen. But I think the one thing about this is this is not a local thing. You are putting your vote in with people from Oregon and Alabama and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Michigan and all over the country because that's where our outlets are located. So, you know, if you want to vote for Ohio State, you better to get in there because there's some people all over the country who aren't necessarily going to be voting for the Buckeyes. Playthetournament.com. All right, now I guess we can move on to the next thing, whatever we're doing. Before before we do that, and I don't want to belabor this point, but I did think it's like I know we're talking about football tonight. We're talking about football within the bra- the basketball bracket, but it's really struck me this week, having covered now a, a, a basketball team that had gotten kind of used to making the NCAA tournament to where it was like an old hat thing. I have so much sympathy right now for Dayton, for Rutgers, for Penn State, some of these programs that have been climbing and climbing and climbing and trying to get back to this plateau and then to have it taken away from them for, for completely, well, we won't even go into the reason, but I mean, obviously understandable reasons. Just how much as sports fans are you guys kind of mourning right now, not having the actual NCAA tournament. And also, especially because we don't get to now see some of these, Steven's a little tough for you because you're on a more neutral plane right now covering that team directly. But just in general for college basketball, you don't get to see some of these potential Cinderella stories and these like once in a generation chances for some of these programs play out. I look at it and I think immediately of Stephen Curry at Davidson. Everything that Stephen Curry has done in his NBA career might not be what it is if he doesn't have that moment at Davidson and getting that team to the Elite Eight because of what that started. Now all of a sudden Davidson's playing Duke the next year because he's the most high-profile player in the game. It's Stephen Curry against Coach K, which is you wouldn't think that if you thought of Davidson and Duke game, you would think that the high-profile player was on Duke's team, and this would be a first or second game of the season and basically a warm-up game for Duke. But from he turned a Cinderella story in the NCAA tournament into a top-10 pick in the NBA draft into three championships and two-time MVP, a unanimous MVP. And there's plenty of stories like that out there, just like Stephen Curry. But that moment, like, I'm not saying the next Stephen Curry is playing at Dayton or or any of these mid-major schools who could have had an opportunity to get into the tournament. But 
the opportunity to at least put themselves on a stage. You hear that from mid-major guys all the time when they talk about NBA. Damian Lillard says one day, just get me to the tournament and then I can make some things happen. And there are a lot of guys in mid-major schools who may be late bloomers who aren't going to have that opportunity because that's not promised that next year that they're going to win their conference tournament. So two things for me. Uh, one is this wasn't a great year in college basketball. So, like, I get it. There are some individual teams who are missing out. But this, to me, is not one of the – would not was not going to be one of the great tournaments ever. And this is just my honest opinion. The whole world shut down. I don't care if sports aren't playing. I mean, every single – there are people who are losing their jobs. There are people who – are going to lose their lives. Like I, I understand we're doing a sports podcast, like in the real world, uh, my concern about like lost games for sports leagues are so far down the list. I have, I give it zero thought. That's just honestly where I am. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I I'm not going to the, to the length to where I say they should have done something else. This is what should have happened. And it's, it's yeah. tough that it's a byproduct, but I just hope it doesn't happen for some of these programs though is I think back to like 1994 when baseball went on strike and you had teams like the Expos and the Royals who were kind of finally putting it together. They were in the, in the position to do something. And then the strike happens, no World Series. And then the Royals took a long time to recover. and The Expos obviously never recovered and ended up moving. So it's college basketball, a completely different world. But I just hope that some of these programs get their shot at it and don't have to wait another generation to get their shot at it, assuming everything goes back to normal here in a couple months. But well, now that we've detoured through that, let's go back to the bracket. We have d- talked about Jim Trestle offensive era. We talked about the Urban Meyer defensive era. Now let's go back in history to the Jim Trestle defensive era. A kind of a runaway winner, but also three guys who got a lot of support from this group. Um, and, a, and a couple of these guys, there was a lot of like really fervent support for them as far as – and that's where I thought the, the favorite – side of this was pushing through sometimes even more so than how great of a player they thought it was. But I, you know, Doug, you had already kind of started sketching this out. Um, who kind of just jumped to the top of what you looked at for this bracket. So I had the, the two guys at the top are to me, almost the same guy, just one followed the other. Um, and that's James Laurinaitis and AJ Hawk. James Laurinaitis was a three time um, unanimous all American, which is bonkers. Um, so I had James Laurinaitis number one, but it felt like AJ Hawk got more support. And again, the other two guys that factor into this again, I didn't cover this guy, but I understand what he means to Ohio state football. So I was glad I had a a read on that. Mike Doss is really important, but a guy that is very hard to put in and you've got to make a decision on this is Chris Gamble because he played both ways, offense and defense. And again, people, I didn't cover him, but I know people loved Chris Gamble and that he could play on both sides of the ball. I put Chris Gamble on the defensive side, again, partly because there's the offensive side was a little more crowded. So I will just say those were my top four seeds. I had Laurinaitis one initially, but I am perhaps reconsidering that. So the top three guys, you mentioned them all, Doss, Laurinaitis, and Hawk. The number one vote getter had as many votes as the other two combined. So it was a runaway number one, and it was AJ Hawk. And that's that why I think he probably deserves to be the one seed. I will listen yeah. to the textures on that. Um, I've told the story many times. I only caught one year of AJ Hawk. I was here his last year. 
in 2005. I went to his house. I did a huge story on him. I saw his Lombardi trophy propping up his parents' basement door. And I was like, is that the Lombardi trophy holding <laughs> open your door? Um, and I thought that it's my experience, my entry point to Ohio State football. Oh, my gosh, they have this guy. He's awesome. People love him. How will they ever replace him? Oh, James Laurinaitis is here. That's how they replace him with the guy who is just as accomplished and just as loved. So I gave Laurinaitis the edge, but I will I will not dispute the fact that people loved A.J. Hawk. There was something about him that I, I did a gigantic cover story for him back in the day when, you know, a place like the Plain Dealer could really do some special stuff in the newspaper and. I think we had a graphic artist. We had took a picture of him and like put wings on him to make him look like a hawk. It was like a Renaissance painting or something. It was like <laughs> unbelievable. I talked to so many people. I talked to 20 people for that story. Um, and it was an understanding of the big thing that stood out with me about AJ Hawk is he never changed the photo like in the media guide. He took one photo his freshman year and the rest of his career, they used the same photo because he refused to come in and get his picture taken again because he was like, I'm not getting my picture taken. I could take that 10 minutes and work out instead. And he did not care. He did not care about anything except football and that kind of guy. And neither did James Laurinaitis. And James Laurinaitis' dad was a famous wrestler. Like, again, favorite stuff, little animal I can't tell you how many people I saw wearing Laurinaitis 33s in my time covering Ohio State football here. And I did cover every second of James Laurinaitis' career. But that ethos that A.J. Hawk embodied, that's like sort of from the Chris Spielman line, right? And again, if we expanded this to other eras, Chris Spielman is not the greatest player in Ohio State history. He makes a run. Chris Spielman makes a run for the most favorite A.J. Hawk is maybe a little bit more in that Spielman vein. So if that's what the texters say, I'll respect it. I think A.J. Hawk is if you had a like if you made a football movie and the main character was a linebacker, A.J. Hawk's like entire personality as an Ohio State football would be that linebacker. And I think that's part of it. The to your, the things you just said, the hard nose, the glitz and the glamour don't matter. I'm going to put my hand in the mud. I'm going to get dirty. There's going to be blood and mud and sweat all over my jersey at the end of the game. That That's A.J. Hall. So, again, not having as much experience with that era of Ohio State history, it did not surprise me that A.J. Hawk and Jim Laurinaitis got as many votes as they did. The one that I didn't – I don't have as much of a – because I remember watching those guys play. I don't remember as much about Mike Doss. He's someone that I'm familiar with, but I don't have as much of a visceral memory of him from that era – but he, he actually got more votes than Laurinaitis. He had nine to Laurinaitis' eight from the tech subscribers. And there was some really rabid support behind him. Like, people really valued what he did for those teams. The people listening to this know this. Mike Doss had a decision on whether to come back to Ohio State or go pro. And the story is that he went up at the news conference and he didn't know what he was going to say. And he stayed at Ohio State and didn't go pro. And he was in absolutely integral part of a national championship team. And there is a lot of high level play and just exceedingly high level leadership. He's a guy who's still around. And so again, this is where favorite comes in. Nobody would argue, you know, that, that, that Mike Doss is a better player 
than guys who are going to be seated behind him. But what he means to Ohio State football, people never forget a thing like that. Fair or not, right? We've said many times on this podcast, if you got to go, you got to go. It's a personal decision. If these guys leave, you can't hold it against them. Um, he holds a special place, I think, in Ohio State fans' hearts. I have him as the four seed at the moment behind Chris Gamble because I felt like it was hard to vote for Chris Gamble. And I think his name was mentioned a lot. I tallied him being mentioned at least 10 times, maybe even more than that. That sort of people saying, you got to put him in, you got to put him in. I may flip-flop that. Maybe Mike Doss should be the three. Um, it would be hard for me to put Doss at two ahead of Laurinaitis, though. You said that vote was close, Nathan? Nine, uh, nine for Doss, eight for Laurinaitis. Laurinaitis, again, he's a three-time All-American. Um, Buckus Award winner as a sophomore. Um, just sort of embodied that defense. That's that's hard for me. I think they're both beloved, but when uh, Laurinaitis just has a little more hardware um, than Doss. But again, I think if those are your top four seeds, and to me, defensively for the Trestle era, those are pretty clearly um, the top four seeds. I think there's a little bit of a drop off after that. Um, I think that's a really good top four. Yeah, things after that. So um, players who also got number one votes, and those those three pretty much ate up the vast majority of them. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins, three. Will Smith with two. Chris Gamble, who you mentioned with two. But he was getting mentioned a lot on the um, just people throwing out names and honorable mentions and that sort of thing. And then one for Vernon Golston. Um, and, and Will Smith I thought was an interesting one just because, I, you know, the unfortunate um, way that his life ended – and and how those things sort of resonate, you know, now into a generation later, as far as people, the way they're remembered and how how they kind of encapsulate people's careers that way. Yeah, people love that guy. Again, I didn't cover him. I, I know that's a name that has come up a lot. Um, and obviously uh, that he's not with us anymore. Um, I think you, you maybe appreciate someone like that um, a little bit more. Vernon Golston is hard for me. Vernon Golston uh, was the number six pick in the draft. He was dominant. Um, I don't know that he was beloved. He was kind of a, a physical freak. He was a bust in the NFL. He was like a really sweet, nice guy. He was one of those guys that was sort of like hard to wrap your head around. Um, this guy does those things to quarterbacks on the field because he's such a nice guy. But he was a little bit of a flash in the pan. I have him in there, but kind of lower. I definitely have Will Smith in there. Malcolm Jenkins is a guy that I will say, and I've said a million times, Malcolm Jenkins is one of my favorite players I ever covered. Um, and this guy's had a hugely long and significant NFL career on and off the field. He was right there with Laurinaitis. They were kind of like, a, you know, almost like Okuda and Young, kind of a two-man kind of wrecking crew uh, for that, that certain era of Jim Trestle defense. I have Malcolm Jenkins at the seven right now. Um, maybe he could move up a little bit. Again, I don't think he cracks that top four, but Malcolm Jenkins, again, as far as it comes, when it comes to like just all around guy who will rip your head off on the field, nobody does it better than Malcolm Jenkins. It's interesting to kind of compare these two, you know, the day Meyer era to the Trestle Fickle era, as far as just the personnel that are getting these kind of votes. It's a lot. It's a very linebacker heavy to me group with the Trestle era and then more defensive ends and defensive backs with Meyer. And I guess that makes sense when you look at what's happened, but that, that is kind of a clear differentiation right now. 
Yeah, and there is uh, there's just a little more fan favorite stuff. I know I'll I'll let Steven speak to this because I know Steven made note of it when I put him in the bracket. Um, I had Antonio Smith as the 15 seed mm-hmm. in this bracket. That guy's a walk on who became an all Big Ten player at corner. Um, <clears throat> just like a really great story. Again, he's not one of the 16 best defensive players of the Trestle era. But I, but I factored that into like, man, what an amazing story that was. And again, he's a Columbus kid. Yeah, and, and you see kind of the same thing. They're trying to do it with CJ Saunders. It's not working out. He's not an all Big Ten guy, but walk on kid who's still around the program in some ways. He was at Dad Mata's uh, Hall of Fame initiation a couple a couple months ago. But a guy walk on who worked his way into an all Big Ten corner, and then it's encapsulated by that pick six, which was all over the place. It's in papers. That that when you're talking, what that's at the bottom of the, when you're talking about 15, 16, 14 seeds. It's it's usually not the most talented guy there, but it's a guy who encapsulates something that fans can get behind, and that's a kid, a guy where it wasn't a highly rated guy who came here and basically overachieved as an Ohio State football player. If we're going to be honest. Again, I have John Simon in this bracket. Um, I have Dustin Fox, who has gone on to a big-time media career and has stayed in the public eye and was a, a really important part of that national championship era trestle stuff. Again, really good player. One of the 16 best, probably not, but I think I thought people kind of really liked him. Um, Cam Hayward is high for me. He's my five seed at the moment. I had Brian Roll in there. As a linebacker, an undersized, like five, nine and a half linebacker who could make plays. So there's some tough. Michael Bennett from the national championship team, one of the key cogs. Trestle recruit who becomes a key cog on the urban 2014 national championship team. But but like Michael Bennett, I guess he would be more in the in the urban thing. But like I almost want to squeeze him into Trestle because, as you said, he kind of came for Trestle. Dante Whitner is another guy. Back, let me tell you a story, boys. I'm going to invoke the B word that has been banned here. Back before people talked about the bullet, the first time Ohio State really talked about playing a fifth defensive back as a safety linebacker hybrid, a guy who could cover but could come down and hit, they called it the star position. And so we wrote about the star position in 2005 and six and seven. Um, Long before we wrote about the bullet. And Dante Whitner encapsulated that. Another Glenville, Cleveland guy. Absolutely huge hitter. Definitely belongs in this top 16. And one of my favorites who followed him, another Glenville kid playing the same position, Jermail Hines. I love Jermail Hines. He's not in my bracket at the moment. I don't know if we can squeeze him in. But I think this might be the bracket out of all four of them where you're, try- you're squeezing in some fan favorites at the bottom. Guys like Brian Roll and Dustin Fox um, and Antonio Smith, because I think people have an appreciation for them that goes beyond just being good football players. I'm going to ask now before we get to the Urban Meyer offensive era, which is the last quadrant, because the number one seed here seems to be such a runaway, obvious choice that I don't think it's going to come up. Any chance of a 16-1 upset out of any of these three brackets? And we don't know who the 16s are yet. But do you think it's even plausible that there could be a 16-1 upset out of these first three regions? I, I think, yeah, no. But I do think if there is one, it would be, depending on who the 16th seed is, it would be in the Trestle defense. If there, the, the slim chance that one happens, it would be in that region. I think the one thing that has been shown here is that there are some heavy one seeds. 
it's going to be AJ Hawk. We'll we'll lean to the textures on this, but I think I think this top four. I think Hawk, Laurinaitis, Doss, and Gamble. There's a lot of love for all those guys. Those guys are going to be hard to beat. Um, Troy Smith. Troy Smith is not going down early, no. and and Chase Young and Joey Bosa, really really two strong seeds. I, I don't think there are going to be any huge upsets of the one or two seeds early on. I would be very surprised. And we are getting to, in the Trestle, excuse me, in the urban offense bracket, the most overwhelming choice oh, yeah. for number one seed. This is the number one overall seed. No doubt. What I do think is interesting is in some of these brackets, though, and maybe the Trestle defense is the one where I think it's least likely to happen. Because, like, Doug, like you say, you can go six, you can go one, two, three, deep at least with guys who have a lot of love but in some of these brackets where you get down to like the third or fourth seed and it's a guy who's really good but maybe isn't getting a lot of this like obvious fans throwing their names out support that's where the guy who's like 13 14 15 could maybe pull an upset because those are the guys who are maybe on here more for their love than they are for how good of a player they are and I want to be honest before we come out with the final seeds which again we won't announce on this podcast but the texters will get in their tech subscription as soon as they're finalized, probably on Monday. And then we will be sprinkling them out on the site as we go through. Part of me doesn't want to overreact to the textures because part of the great thing of a bracket is disagreeing with it. So if we just listen to the textures who are then going to be the voters and we'd seed the bracket completely how they would want it, the then number one seed is, is going to be, be chalk. It's going to be chalk, chalk, yeah. chalk. It's going to be every sweet 16 is going to be one versus four and two versus three. So there's part of me that in the end, there may be some circumstances where I just stick with somebody as a three seed that I had there. And you can disagree with me. And the way you can disagree with it is by having the six seed upset them in the second round or by having the 14 seed upset somebody. We want to have some potential for upsets. We don't want to, we don't want to misseed it on purpose to create upsets. But I may go with my gut here and there, so that as voters, the texters can then prove me wrong. And again, if you want to be part of this, you're going to be part of the results. If you listen to this podcast and if you read Cleveland.com/osu, you will be part of the results. If you want to be part of the voting. There's only one way to do that, and that is by becoming a text subscriber, 14-day free trial, text 614-350-3315. Nathan, you want to take another break before – got to go to the bathroom. Before was you <laughs> well, even yeah. before, well, I was going to take a break, but now that you say that, let's stay and just do the minor <laughs> office. We're going to take our, another break here on Buckeye Talk. Uh, stick with us through the commercial. We will come back and finish this up with the Urban Meyer Offensive Era. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk as we are wrapping up our discussion of the modern football Buckeye, modern favorite, favorite modern football Buckeye. Thoroughly modern Buckeye. Um, Hey, real quick, if you guys are sticking around for the breakdown of the fast food bracket, we're we're going too long. We're going to do that later this week. So we will get to it. We will have fun with it. Somebody from I don't know what site we will give him credit when we do it, put out a bracket of 64 fast food and fast casual establishments. We're going to go through it. We're going to let uh, our texters do some voting on it. We'll get to that later. Um, but let me interrupt really quickly again, because there has been some interest in this. My family is doing a movie bracket 
I tweeted this out. I, people may have seen it. Um, I know, Nathan, you reacted to it initially. What did you think of my family's 16-movie bracket where the four people in my family, we all picked four movies. We seeded our own movies, one through four, and then we set matchups throughout the bracket. And I will tell you, and I will reveal, reveal the result shortly, we have played the first game result is in. We have watched two movies so far. You guys are really, really stringing this thing out. I guess we don't know how long this is going to last, so better to ration your movies just like we're rationing everything else. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought it was a, a fantastic mix of eras and quality and genres. I think you got a little bit of everything. The one that I just love, the one that just floored me, was Blockers, which was like this teen sex comedy um, that came out a couple years ago that I actually really enjoyed, and Moonlight, which is like this super serious, yeah. uh, artistic Oscar, also an incredible film. Um, but those two going head-to-head, Blockers being the one seed, obviously. <laughs> I don't know what the Oscars were thinking, but um, those actually might have even come out the same year. I just thought it's – I love exercises like these. I think they were great. Um, we I did one several years ago with some friends of mine that was like an 80s – movie or 80s the best 80s movie song bracket we had like i can remember 32 or 64 and we had a bunch of friends voting on it i actually don't even remember how it ended up but it was it was a lot of fun to and it took several weeks and people were following along and um so i'm i'm eager to see how this plays out i have two questions yes one how is coming to america not a number one seed or maybe that's just my own bias but go ahead so i will say so one of the things is it's supposed to be a movie that at least some of us haven't seen. Um, okay. It's like we're trying to watch movies. So, like, obviously, my wife and I have seen Coming to America, yeah. but my kids have not seen it yet. Okay. But So that was my movie. Coming to America is my number two seed. I okay. made my number one seed, Knives Out, which, like, was in theaters a couple months ago, and I wanted to see it in the theater, mm-hmm. and I didn't. And so none of us have seen that. So I don't know how good Knives Out is, but I really want to see it. And I know Coming to America is good. So we said it's not the best movies. It's sort of like just our weird thing. But I have had multiple people say that Coming to America is quite a dangerous two-seat and could make a run. It is. And then number two, yeah, Yeah. uh, number two, which Avengers are we talking about? Because you can't just say Avengers. So I guess it's my, my oldest daughter put that in. I guess it's the first one. Okay. I am not very familiar with the avengers universe i saw the one with the guy with the the jewels in his glove at the end i saw that one i am not particularly familiar so like she's seen that avengers one but like i don't think i've ever seen it so that's why she put that in there but um mine were knives out as my one seed coming to america as my two seed um the Born Identity, I think, is my three seed because I have never watched any of the Born movies. Ooh. And uh, oh, my four seed was The Big Sick, which I've been wanting to see. And I will tell you, The Big Sick is already out. The Big Sick we went, know. went down to a tour. another day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. And our scoring system is each person scores the movie on a scale of 1 to 25. So we approximate Mm. a basketball score. So a beautiful day in the neighborhood 
beat the Big Sick 83-73 in a 1-4 matchup. Man. Wow. I he Knocking them out early. Big Sick was a little slow for me. I was excited to watch it. I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a little slow. Uh, yeah, and I, I really like the Big Sick. I, I, I think I liked it more than Beautiful Day Neighborhood. I like Beautiful Day Neighborhood. Did not like it as much as a documentary that came out about Mr. Rogers like just a year or two before. I thought it was a, a better. I have watched the Fred Rogers documentary on an airplane and cried like a baby. It was, it was fantastic. It was one of the better documentaries I've seen in the last couple of years. Um, I, I'm really interested. The knife, Knives Out, I thought was great. I love Knives Out, but I'm really scared about it. If I were if I were betting on it, I'd really want to wait to see the line because it's going up against Marley and me. Yeah, Justin, Marley and me get you a little touchy a little bit. Family, yeah. Well, Jennifer Aniston. This it's got just it checks every box of being a dangerous yeah. four seed. No, and I know people are excited. My youngest daughter, my 12-year-old, put in the Breakfast Club as her four seed. And people were like, the Breakfast Club is a four seed. But it's like my wife and I have seen it, um, but my daughters have never seen it, so they want to watch it. But the Breakfast Club is going up against Babe, which is a talking animal movie. And again, you have to consider the audience. So Marley and Me, dog movie, talking pig movie, like that is wheelhouse for the Le Maurice family. So you have to consider the audience. I really think that Bring It On, Born Identity might be my favorite matchup, though, of the whole thing in some ways. Because that is a really tough one to call. Because I think in the Born Identity, you've got this, you know, it's action, it's like suspense, it's a spy thriller. It's got all these things that are like guy movie things. But it's Matt Damon. There's like a little love interest thing in there. There's like, it's got things that are going to appeal to women, too. And then on Bring It bring On, it all, got this. Bring It On's a cult classic, man. Bring That's... It On's a cult classic. It's about cheerleading. Or dancing, whatever it's about. But it's got enough in it that guys are going to like it too, I think. Possibly maybe in spite of themselves. So that's going to be really t- – I'm, I'm really interested to see the score of that one. That's going to be tough. And bring it on is Gabrielle Union, right? Yeah, correct. Because it's like, I like Matt Damon. I love Gabrielle Union. So that's going to be like that. <laughs> the born identity You're is my – You're outnumbered in the house for people who the may The born identity that. is my team, but – I don't know if I can vote against. I'm not a big Kirsten Dunst fan, but I don't know if I can vote against Sassy Gabrielle Union. So we'll see. Who else is in that? Uh, Eliza Dushku also in Bring It On. It's yeah. it's got a it's got a strong lineup. Again, I mean, maybe we should have done 64. I mean, here you know, but we I'm glad we I have had Twitter people. Their families are doing it. We've had friends and neighbors who are doing their own versions of this. So um, we're all hunkering down for a while here. So uh, my advice is bracket your life. Look in your fridge, find 16 things in your fridge, and decide what to eat by seeding the food and then playing them off against each other. And it's like the one seed milk against the four seed bacon bits. I think the bacon bits can, you know, bracket your life. You know, I'm a... This like it, this is a terrible situation, but it's just interesting to watch people get creative with ways to entertain themselves once streaming services have like been binge watched after binge watch. Now you're just, like that kind of that kind of bracket is like creative. That's not something you would have thought of on like a regular Tuesday when there's an NBA game or something going on. No, I will say uh, most of the time my children don't talk to me, and now they have to watch sixteen <laughs> movies with me. You know, most I, I think it's great that you've only done sixteen because depending on how aggressive you want to be with this, you could be done by end of the week 
We all yeah. know this thing is lasting more than a week. <laughs> start a new 16-team bracket. It's like yeah. there's a new there's a new NCAA tournament every year, except this one. Yeah. So just start another one. Multiple say, seasons of Le Marie's brackets. My we were seeding Pixar movies today at dinner, so there are possible brackets ahead. See what you got to do. You got to do a big Pixar bracket, and then whoever it's going to be like a conference tournament. You need to do brackets for like all these other genres of movies that result in a 16 seed tournament. You could literally do that with just with just what's on Disney Plus. You could do Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, yeah, and actual Disney movies, and those could be your regions. How many how many conferences are there now with the automatic seeds? Is it 33? Yeah. So yeah. you do 33 mini tournaments <laughs> automatic bid. by genre. Yeah. So great, the 33 automatic bids. Then yeah. you every other movie in the world. Okay. And see, like Disney would be its own, but then like Pixar is its own. You got to there's separate even within. Yeah, I think you get you get really interesting. So you got some time on your hands now. So, um, except when we're still talking about Ohio State football, which is what we're doing right now, and we are wrapping up. The favorite modern football Buckeye bracket with the Urban Meyer offensive region. Um, this is the one, as we alluded to before, we've been talking about the our, your text message voters voting as to who the number one seed should be. And this one, there was a runaway winner. There were about, again, about 40 votes for all of these, each region. And this person got 61% of the votes to be the number one seed, which is far and away more than anybody in any of these other regions. Um, is there even any suspense as to who that should be? I mean, there are a lot of good players from this era. Um, a, a lot, lot of, of good era. players. And a lot of good quarterbacks. I mean, think of how many good quarterbacks have come out of the Urban Meyer era. Um, Cardell Jones, Braxton Miller, Dwayne Haskins, JT Barrett, um, and uh, Justin Fields You would be uh, eligible under this. Uh, but none of them were the number one vote getter. Doug, were you surprised to see the support that the number one vote getter got? So I will say when I was doing this seating, I only considered two people for the number one seat in this bracket. And it was Braxton Miller and Ezekiel Elliott were the two people I considered. Mm -hmm. And I put Ezekiel Elliott number one. And he is the guy who must be the runaway winner, right? Yes. Yeah. I will say the thing that I am surprised about, I did not expect, if you would have said to me beforehand, who will be the strongest one seed, like who will be the overall one seed, get the most support as their one seed, I think I would have guessed Troy as a Heisman winner, as a guy. I, I thought people loved Troy. I will be say... I am a little surprised. And I thought people, I would have thought that Braxton and, and Zeke might be close. So I'm not surprised that Ezekiel Elliott was voted the number one seed here. I'm surprised he is overwhelmingly the most popular number one seed. I think it has to do, and post-Ohio State career has to play a part into this. Ezekiel Elliott's the highest paid running back of all time. He, he's taking what he did at Ohio State. And it starts with that three-game run, Wisconsin, Alabama, Oregon. And he's turned that into being the best running back in the NFL. And while Braxton Miller peaked in college for a lot of different reasons, Troy Smith's best years were at Ohio State, and he never really panned out in the NFL. While Zeke is 
the epitome of what Urban Meyer's time here has been. He takes these highly talented guys, he develops them to where by year three, they're blowing up in our faces, and then they go to the NFL, and they continue to blow up in our faces, and that starts with Zeke. And I think that's part of the reason why he was the overwhelming favorite is some of this is is what best defines that era. And Troy Smith maybe best defines the Jim Trestle era as an Ohio guy who had all these accomplishments. And Zeke might best define the Urban Meyer era of a guy who, highly talented, did exactly what was expected, and now he's doing it at the NFL level. And again, we've sort of talked about this with other guys. Tiebreaker, if you're the star of a national championship team, yeah. it sometimes puts you over the edge. I think when you think of the 2014 national championship team and all of that talent, the first guy you think of is Ezekiel Elliott. And yep. while I agree with your point, I think about him being in the NFL and what he's done as a Dallas Cowboy. I do think if I were voting, I really would focus on what the guy did at Ohio State. So I think maybe subliminally, People like Zeke is still around us every day. He's such a yeah. high profile guy. He's jumping this in the Salvation Army bucket. But I think that three game run in the playoffs against Wisconsin and Alabama and Oregon and what he did down the stretch and how dominating he was where he becomes a back where he he rips off 200 yards a game. That I think is something that is again, we're talking about. The Claret play being maybe the greatest single play, in, at least in this era of Ohio State football, I think that three-game stretch by Ezekiel Elliott is the greatest performance yeah. over a period in this modern era of Ohio State football. So just to give people some perspective, there were 42 votes. Ezekiel Elliott had 26 of them. I actually missed one earlier. So 26 was 62% of the vote. Ezekiel Elliott got more votes as a number one seed than all of the other players in that era combined. Um, only six for Braxton Miller, three for Michael Thomas, where I think his NFL career definitely has probably played some role in probably getting him some extra love there. And three for JT Barrett. Everybody else only got one. So let me jump to what I think is the most interesting individual seeding in the whole bracket. And I could be way off on this. Where would you guys seed JT Barrett in the urban offense bracket? And it, and it doesn't mean you have to think about, well, here's who should be 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, 8, 11, 15. Just like off the top of your head, if you think JT Barrett, where should he be seeded? I mean, if you're talking about favorite, and I'm going by – and, and, and I, even though that is more recent, I still kind of lean towards what the fans are, are thinking on here. I mean, I, he's he's got to be a top four seed. Does he? If you're talking about I, favorite, I mean, there's obviously there's a reason. He made a connection here with fans that Cardell Jones, Dwayne Haskins, J.K. Uh, Dobbins, Carlos Hyde, those kind of players, even though they had great careers, didn't necessarily make in, in this short yeah, season. But he, he was also here for a long time. Like, that's part of it. So, like, he's probably the most decorated. But it got to a point with him where it, it did become a Dwayne Haskins. It, it has become – Dwayne Haskins got on the field, and immediately, for any fan who thought that Dwayne Haskins should have been starting over JT Barrett, he immediately validated those thoughts that people had. And Justin Fields is, I mean, obviously doing the same things because he could – but not to the point Dwayne Haskins did. But I don't know if 
he's a favorite versus he was just here a long time. And so he got to tally up a bunch of numbers. Do you feel like he was he was mentioned a lot, Nathan? He again, I didn't read back through all of the all of the uh, you know um, honorable mentions, but he had three first place votes. So uh, I tallied some. He came up a little bit. I will say I think it's possible that he is the only person, and and this could be sixty eight because we're going to do the playing games. I think it's possible JT Barrett is the only person in this sixty eight player bracket that a bunch of fans wanted benched at some point in his career. And the hard Mm -hmm. thing with JT is that there are people that love him, but there are people who were glad to see him go. So, so like that is the balance. I think he might be the only player that you must balance for lack of a better word, negative reaction to the person with all the positive we're talking about favorite Buckeye almost everybody we're here we're talking about is you either love him or you like him he might be the only guy fair Mm -hmm. or unfair and we've talked about him many times on this podcast and I think we'll talk about him for many more times in the future on this podcast he is a divisive figure and as Stephen mentioned there were people who wanted him bench for for Dwayne Haskins there were people who thought he held this offense back in some ways during his career. And I think while people appreciate him, I don't know how much he is a favorite. If you said to people, name your 10 favorite Buckeyes. I don't know. And I, he's not like anyone's secret favorite. There are some guys on here who are like, oh man, I just love, like me, I'm, a, I'm an unbiased reporter. I love Christian Bryant. I love Christian Bryant. Talking about like hard-hitting star safeties from Glenville, Christian Bryant would be on my list for something like this. But like JT Barrett is so famous, he can't be anyone's secret crush. So you either like him or you dislike him. So I'll tell you where I initially seeded him. I made him an eight seed. And that felt right to me because guess what I made the eight nine game is JT Cardale, Barrett yeah. versus Cardale Jones. And there Which is, is nothing more that I want. I want to see what people do. So if you guys have strong feelings to talk me off an 8-9 JT Cardale matchup, I will I'm op- my ears are open. But he, I I put Ezekiel Elliott ahead of him. I put Braxton Miller, I put Dwayne Haskins, I put Justin Fields, I put Curtis Samuel, I put JK Dobbins, and I put Michael Thomas all ahead of JT Barrett. And I think when you think about it, you can at least make cases for all those guys. Because I will tell you, for instance, I think maybe Curtis Samuel is a little high as my five seed at the moment. Curtis Samuel, when he hit the end zone against Michigan in 2016 and spread his arms out like he was embracing the stadium, there are people who have that photo in their rec room. It's still a part of – Save them. Now, that's also – JT Barrett, like, had to get – isn't that the butt game? 16 was the butt game. But, like, Curtis Samuel saved them that day. With the why I'm Curtis Samuel, and nobody dislikes Curtis Samuel. Nobody thinks Curtis Samuel was overrated. No one wanted Curtis Samuel to go. So that's why I have a guy like him ahead of JT Barrett. That First of all, that highlight is still a part of Ohio when you're like pregame. It's still being shown, and it's been four years. But I think it's perfect that Cardell and JT are 8-9. Now, you can debate who's 8-9, and nine, but it has to be that way. 
because of what that 2015 season was and how much that quarterback battle, whatever it was, kind of really ruined that season in a little bit of ways. The way the fact that JT Barrett was the quarterback for all of 2014, but then in the three most vital games of the season, what won Ohio State's national championship game? Ezekiel Elliott's running and Cardell Jones's arm. His ability to throw the ball down. Those are the two things that won. And JT Barrett, JT Barrett was on the sideline. And one of the little rolly things is it was happening. And then he got his opportunity again in twenty in twenty sixteen to be a part of a college football playoff. And nothing happened. And they lost thirty one to nothing. So I, it, that's, it has to be that way. Those two have to be the eight and nine. You can build whatever you want around that, but those two have to be the eight and nine seeds. And again, yeah, people be- think that JT getting hurt helped that team win. Yeah, I have fought against that idea that I think they could have won the national championship game with JT, but that is a huge idea in the the in Ohio State fandom is thank goodness JT Barrett got hurt. Yeah, I'm definitely going to defer to you on that. I, I trust your judgment on that. I just will say that as it is in the NCAA basketball tournament, sometimes you have three seeds, four seeds that cosmetically are strong, but everyone knows they have holes and they are popular upset picks against the 14s and 13s. And those upsets then come to fruition. So it would be really interesting to take someone as accomplished as him and who gets support from a segment of the fan base. And if they were a little higher and then seeing if they are more vulnerable against players who, again, are not maybe as accomplished, but just have more of that love. But the way you explain it with the eight, nine Cardale, I mean, that that almost makes too much sense to not do it. Yeah, I think like what you're saying. He'd be a heck of a four seed because you'd be really interested to see who that 13 was if they could knock off JT. Um, Another quarterback thing that I'm curious about your input, and I definitely can be swayed on this at the moment. I put Dwayne Haskins as the three seed and Justin Fields as the four. They each had a year as Ohio State starter. You know, Justin took him to the playoff and Dwayne didn't. And Justin's got another year coming. I, I think I might have that wrong. Um, and again, give do this a year from now and let's find out where Justin Fields would be. But Justin Fields, at, to me, Zeke Braxton 1-2, I think makes a lot of sense. Could Justin Fields be the three? I think so. And here's why. There were a lot of things in that 2018 team that were deficiencies. Some of that was because of Dwayne Haskins, and some of that was because of the defense. There were no deficiencies with Justin Fields. He could run it. He could throw it. He could read the zone. He could throw. He makes throw. He makes the difficult throws just like Dwayne Haskins does. And he also took him to the playoff, but he also didn't have a defense holding them back. There are you can poke holes in Dwayne Haskins' season. You can't really poke holes in Justin Fields' first year as a starter. Because even that last interception, that's Chris Olave running the route wrong, and there were some plays by the referees that didn't go their way and some drop balls. You can't poke holes in Justin Fields just for only season that started so far the way you can with Dwayne Haskins. So as, as my any uh, fellow Chicago Bear fans that we have among our text subscribers and our um, podcast listeners would know, there's this old saying that the most popular quarterback in Chicago is the Bears' backup quarterback. And I feel like with Dwayne Haskins, that's probably why I'd still put him ahead of Justin Fields. Because when we're talking about favorite, when we're talking about kind of just a emotional, even sometimes irrational, emotional preference that you have for players, the fact that Haskins was already on the roster, people were already kind of wanting him to play. And then finally, when he did give his get his chance, yes, I know the team fell short in some ways, but he had this prolific 
record-setting, record-shattering season that could stand the test of time, even though we think Justin Fields is going to have a great year. I mean, there's no guarantee he'll be able to break those kind of statistical um, benchmarks that he set. I think that maybe still would factor in him being a overall fan favorite more than what Justin Fields has done. Just, I mean, we're still within just surpassed a calendar year where Justin Fields has been a part of the program at all. Whereas Dwayne Haskins was in here for a longer period of time. And, and again, the idea of favorite, how do you guys think it affects anything that Justin Fields was a transfer and that we did not get 12 or 18 months of his recruitment? And that is when fans of any team first get to know these guys. And like, you know, Ohio State, they had Tristan Wallace at quarterback in that class, and he decommits. And now they go back to Dwayne Haskins, and he has to decommit for Maryland to come here. And then, as you said, he's sitting behind JT. He has more of a sort of a, of an origin story with Ohio State where Justin Fields just kind of fell out of the sky. Now, for that couple weeks when he was transferring and would he come to Ohio State and they need a quarterback, boy, oh, boy, were people really interested. But again, I, I, I wonder – I don't do do people love Justin yet or do they are they wowed by him as a player but feel like they're still getting to know him a little bit. He's a little low key when he talks to us, right? He's just he's he seems like his he did I wrote the whole column this year about he did a dance in front of his team and and like I, the guys love him. I feel like maybe Ohio State fans just, even though he was so great this year, haven't had a chance to fully embrace him yet because he, he's really only been here a year. That's yeah, I think the to. difference is with with him, uh, you, uh, yeah, the fact that there was never, hey, how's this young five-star doing who we haven't seen on the field yet? We didn't get that. But I mean, that's not, like, this is a different time. That, that, that point would make sense in 2012. I don't think that it makes that big of a difference because he's a quarterback where it is a little different there because you want to get on the field as quickly as possible. And you did get to know Tate Martell and that didn't work out. So like you didn't get, you didn't get to know Justin Fields, but he came in and he, he produced right away from day one. And he's going to be here for a second year. And like Ohio State hasn't had a second year quarterback since JT. So I don't know if the transfer thing matters as much in 2020, the way it would in 2010. I will say this, that, that Justin's personality with the media is um, it's certainly not prickly in any way, but just, just very kind of, um, I guess, bland would be the word you would use in, in a professional way. In a, in he, it's just not he's not a guy who's up there to put on a show for us, which I totally respect. But I do think he's a guy that is connecting with this fan base. Um, I was uh, this is a story I don't think I told, but a couple several weeks ago I was walking um, in a Columbus neighborhood and I'm like, I've got my phone, I'm listening to the podcast or whatever. And I look up and Justin Fields is like walking along the sidewalk that I'm about yeah. to interact with and like gives me a head nod or whatever. And we talk, I'm like, Oh, you're about the last person I expected to see. And we just like talk for like 15 seconds. But then I'm behind us. You hear people calling like, Hey, Hey. And like, he turns around and like, can we get a picture? And it's like somebody that's like from like a, an entire parking lot away, like just like half a block. And he's like, oh, I'll catch up with you later. I got to I got to I got to go take this picture. So just like some random person on the street is yelling at him semi rudely from a distance to see if they could get a picture. And he breaks off from whatever, you know, his day probably just didn't want to talk to me. But he, he goes over there to like to get a picture with these people. And I it made me think like 
Do you guys have to like bake in a half hour everywhere they go anywhere just because they're going to get mobbed and have people try to take pictures with them? This wasn't even on campus. This was not really that close to Ohio State. So, um, yeah, I think he's a guy that by, at this time next year, when you're talking about favorite, when you're talking about like lasting legacies already, I think he's going to be looked at in a, a very different area. Obviously, especially if he goes to New York again and ends up coming away with that, he's going to be in that kind of Troy Smith sort of category. I mean, I think it's pretty high praise. It, it, it talks about how impactful he's been that he's a four, top four seed in this era of Ohio State offense, and he's been here a year. So, I mean, again, yeah, we're talking about dominating. Like, there aren't that many guys who can say that, even at Ohio State. I mean, if he wins, it's like, well, Justin, if you win the Heisman and lead Ohio State to a national championship, guess what? You'll be the one seed in the Urban Day offense bracket. Congratulations. Um, let me ask about a couple other guys that I thought were interesting. Um, K.J. Hill, Ohio State's all-time leading receiver. I, I thought he he had to be in here. Yes. I had him as a 14 seed. And again, I think people respect him, but I don't. I don't know that I could. I don't know that he should be much higher than that. See, and that's that's exactly who I was thinking of. If you put JT Barrett as a three seed and put him against KJ Hill as the fourteen, that would be a really interesting matchup. Yeah. And there's another receiver that I currently have as the thirteen seed, who again a lot of people loved this guy when he was here. Devin Smith catching those deep balls from Cardale, also catching them from JT. High jump ability, just a one-handed catches. He's sort of like Ohio State's version of Odell Beckham Jr. Again, Devin Smith has a 13 or a 14. You get him lined up against the wrong high seed, and he could give them, I think he could give them a run as well. Um, it's just a deep, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting group. And I'll tell you, um, there's another receiver that I did not have in the seeds, but from the response from the texters, uh, I think our friend Billy Price is getting bumped out of here because there's a lot of interesting offensive linemen that are not going to wind up seated here. Evan Spencer, who threw the receiver pass to Michael Thomas right before halftime in the Alabama game. That, again, talking about singular plays, that Evan Spencer throw, people will never forget. And then he he blocked three guys at once on the one Zeke run. And Urban Meyer talked about Evan Spencer that year as an MVP of that team. I did not have Evan Spencer on there originally, but I think I've got to get Evan Spencer in the in the top 16. What's K.J. Hill's best moment as an Ohio State football player? I think it's high stepping into the end zone Penn State. Uh, against Penn State two years ago. Okay. Are, are you saying that maybe he could be out? Yeah, I I... I I think Urban Meyer offense is really top heavy. And maybe this is just me looking too far into the future with things, but like I'm looking at it with some of these lower guys of like how easily like guys on the roster right now could have them like push them out. And I think KJ Hill is one of those guys where he's on it right now. Yes, he's he's JT Barrett sense of like he's Ohio State's all time leading receiver, but that just means he was here for a long time. And that's his best moment where I don't even know if that's the best moment in the game because Ben Victor had a catch that probably shouldn't have been a touchdown catch. And he took it for a touchdown while KJ Hill, the high stepping was great, but that was also just a really good call. You got a slot guy out in space with one guy to beat, which is 
football. So that's a great play, but I don't even know if that's the best play in that game. And so I think he's along the same lines as Billy Price where I don't if he's if he ends up getting bumped out, I'm not going to make an argument for him. I will say this. I, I, I see what you're saying logically, but I would also say that with guys like this that are so steady for a long period of time that, yes, they're kind of accumulators. But we also sometimes look back in three or four years and say, man, those guys were steady. Man, Ohio State could really use a guy who was just that reliable, that um Maybe isn't like a, a superstar talent, but just gets it done every single down, every single game. Like that, that's also something. His there could be an appreciation for him over time too. Let me. Ask oh yeah, this. There's, there's. Go ahead, go ahead, Doug. Let me ask this crazy question: Who who do you think maybe is more of a favorite, KJ Hill or Garrett Wilson? Garrett Wilson, who has like 400 receiving yards in his career. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, to my point, and then like yeah. there are guys freshmen right now who it's it's well I would this say he is great, but Garrett Wilson from the very first moment he put on a Buckeye uniform introduced himself and had the world going oh my lord look what's coming to Ohio State look what Brian Hartline can now develop and you're he's only got 400 yards but look at the catches he was making. Uh, we'll look at some the helicopter. I mean, I, yeah, oh, I, yeah, but mistakes come with being aggressive. I, I don't care about mistakes. Yes, mistakes are, are terrible. You shouldn't drop punts and you shouldn't do all these things. But when you play aggressive, sometimes it backfires and it doesn't work out for you. It couldn't have worked out. And maybe like oh, Ryan Day was aggressive and had his punter throwing a pass. That could have easily been intercepted and we've been going, why are you having your punter throw a pass on fourth down? I'm, so I don't really care that much about the mistakes. I think you got to, like, Doug, Regardless of who's better, answer the question for yourself. Yeah. I suppose I think if, I think if you presented fans with the with the with the the comparison of those two, it would be closer than you think. I think I would probably still take Hill as the favorite there. I think it would be interesting if you put Hill against Chris Olave because he's got more of a track record. He's got more moments now. Yeah, but at the moment, Chris Olave is the guy who broke off his route in the Clemson game, which yeah. I don't think Ohio State fans are like. <laughs> I don't know that Ohio State fans are mad at him. No, I don't think he's like, over that. That's, that's the last Chris time Olave your favorite guy right yeah. now? <laughs> that's Fair. the last thing you Fair. I do. But with both of those guys, it would be closer than you think of who would be the favorite. You know what? You guys just mentioned something that makes me think maybe this guy should be thrown into the uh, trestle offense bracket. Brian Hartline. Oh, yeah, his name came up. Oh, Dexter's. Actually, he might be – yeah, because he's doing it as a player. He's an NFL guy, and now he's back doing it as an assistant coach. So, oh, I, I mean, they love him right now. And yeah. have a following here. He had a couple really famous hits. He was known as a hitter here. He had a special teams hit, and he had a crackback block um, on, a, on a play where he blew a guy up. And, and he was a very productive receiver here, but there were people that were in Brian Hartline's corner when he was here as a player. And now, you know, he's one of the more favored people associated with the whole program. So uh, I don't know that he's going to make it, but he's something interesting to think about. Let me tell you the thing that I'm thinking of as the play-in game, and this is a little bit of revisionist history. But that's okay. It's our bracket. For the urban offense play-in game of the 16 and 17 seeds. Um 
The Boren Brothers versus the McCullough Brothers. This has a group. <laughs> so it's Zach Boren has come up. Zach Boren was a favorite here. He was a fullback, and then they moved him to linebacker in the back yeah. part of his senior year in 2012. He was more Trestle than he was Urban, but he was here with Urban in 2012. And then Jacoby Boren is the starting center undersized for a national championship team. And by the way, Justin Boren was a all-Big Ten caliber lineman in the Trestle era. And then the McCullough brothers, Liam was the long snapper for 10 years. And now Rowan is going to be the long snapper now. And Liam McCullough wore those funny shirts. To every check year. Every year. So would we be potentially in favor? I honestly have Zach Boren. I initially had him as the 16 seed in this bracket because – Again, just trying to fit guys around. I put him in the urban era. I put him on offense. He was a two-way guy. He was a captain. Um, but I sort of like the idea of expanding it beyond Zach and making it brothers versus brothers in that playing game. One of the tech subscribers had put forward the McCullough brothers as a um, a combination. Like, it should be a combo. You couldn't really pick one of them. So um, there, there's some sympathy out there for that vote. Which, I don't have a problem with a McCullough versus Bourne playing game. Which tells me that uh, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. McCullough, for subscribing to the text. <laughs> and it's like, we've got a part of the McCullough brother that's like the one hasn't even played a single snap for them ever. <laughs> I, it's interesting. There were like three or four different texters who were like, you've got to make sure that you include special teams. Yeah. Again, have you seen the talent here? I mean, it's like yeah. you go through this stuff and like the goddess, we're leaving out so many good players. Somebody, I mean, there were a couple of people that I was like, I really, I, somebody was like, well, you've got to put in Chimdi Chekwa. Chimdi Chekwa, again, mm-hmm. is, is a, he has a local business. He was a really good player here. He has a tree in Buckeye Grove. But I've got to tell you, if you are coming in and saying you've got to put Chimdi Chekwa in the bracket, my instinct is to say, Thank you for subscribing to the text, Chimdi Chekwa. <laughs> you know, there are some goddess, and then there are a lot of really good players who might make it, might not. Because believe it or not, 68 players is not enough to cover these 19 years of Ohio State football. You know what? Maybe if this thing drags on long enough, we will have to uh, do an NIT of the make the ins- <laughs> who didn't make our favorite bracket, but made like the lesser bracket. They can play for their own little trophy. Maybe we could have JT win the NIT. Would that make sense? Just <laughs> bumping the bat, the record-breaking quarterback who won 90 games at Ohio State. JT, you won the, you won the NIT. He doesn't even make the tournament. It's not, and it's not me! I appreciate JT Barrett. It's you people. You think I'm, the, I'm not the problem. Doug, uh, just kind of remind people what the timeline is of this, because I know this this podcast goes up, what, Monday morning? And people can start voting pretty soon, I think, right? So it's uh, 1130 on Sunday night at the moment. uh, We've never recorded the three of us this way before. So assuming that the recording one is planned, this podcast will be released on Monday morning. And this is my plan um, to release the play in games on Monday at Cleveland.com slash OSU and to open the voting for the texters on Monday for the play in games. And from there, we will then release four games at a time right so we're starting with the four playing games we'll divide each of the brackets so we're never having people vote on more than four at a time but for instance then on on tuesday we would come out with 
you know, the 116, the 413, the 512, and the 89 in the trestle offense bracket. We'll tell everybody on cleveland.com slash OSU what the games are. On that same day, we'll release those games to the texters for voting. And then the next morning, we'll release the next bracket to tell you what it is, the next grouping of four games, and we will reveal the voting results. So if you are a text subscriber, you should have about four games to vote on for the next two and a half weeks or so. And if you want to participate by reading cleveland.com slash OSU, you should have a daily update as we reveal more teams in the bracket and as we reveal the results of what our tech subscribers are voting on. But this is strictly going to go by tech subscriber voting. So again, this is your chance, 14-day free trial. You can play this game with us, vote, and then get out without paying a nickel. If you want to be part of that, you can tell I am using my official stalling announcer voice as I look up the number again, 614-350-3315. Text to that. You will get the information how to sign up. 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month after that. We're going to let everyone enjoy this, but you're going to have to text subscribe to vote for it. I think that wraps it up for this episode of Buckeye Talk. Anybody else have anything they need to add before we uh, move along? I guess just in conclusion, this is sort of a special thing. We'll be back Wednesday with the regular Buckeye Talk, which will have some bracket updates. We'll have the fast food bracket, and we'll have our tech subscriber questions. So we'll talk about Trey Sermon, and we'll have whatever. Our our tech subscribers always come up with great stuff. So this is one of those times where we end up leaning on our consumers to help us create content um, because there's nothing going on, but people always have great ideas. So we're going to continue the regular Wednesday Buckeye Talk, and then we will try to figure out we will probably provide some mini-pod bracket updates but also where we throw in a couple questions from tech subscribers. So we're not just talking about the made-up stuff. We're also dealing with team issues. We're going to try to come to you a couple extra times per week with mini-pods to stay connected with you during these tough times. Well, that wraps it up for this week on Buckeye Talk. Like Doug said, come back uh, to cleveland.com slash OSU all week. Just because football is on hiatus does not mean we are on hiatus. We are going to have. Uh, recruiting insight. We are going to have, uh, you know, just more takes on what Ohio State football will be in 2020, whenever that actually returns to uh, the playing field, and uh, any other developments that happen, just along the, with with Ohio State football, Ohio State basketball, as we, uh, you know, creep through these next few weeks of of sort of social uncertainty. So, um, thanks for joining us, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.